Don't pre-order from GameStop. And if Square Chrono crossed into a new era? Hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck. And alongside me, back from his sabbatical, is the one, the only... The the pride of Connecticut. Does Connecticut have pride, or are they just no. are they too small for pride? I mean, we do. I mean, if Long, if Long Island country, has so. pride, yeah, but they're kind of just douchey about it. <laughs> so hold on, hold on. Yeah. You made a big statement there. First mm-hmm. and foremost, I'm joined by Chris Figs. Hey, let's get that out of the way. Sorry, Long Island, Chris. I'm glad you're back here. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I hope that work was fun last week. It was work. Um, Mine was work too, and it was not fun. The great you know thing what about is fun? last week, dude, is I. So we talked about the, the having Joe on. I was like, "Yeah, well, I have I have work stuff I could do." My corporate corporate's coming in. They didn't they didn't show up. So, you know, that was cool. Good times. Yeah, solid. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. Both. It's like great way to spend my Tuesday. It's not having to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in an episode where we're apparently going to get into how Connecticut has the best pizza in the United States at the very least. Um, I don't know where pizza is prevalent elsewhere, to be honest with you. Never left the country. Going to work on that. But we're going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 3, or are we? (laughs) We're going to be talking about some really downsides uh, to apparently pre-ordering at GameStop when it comes to Resident Evil 4's Collector's Edition. Rocksteady apparently taking to heart some of the feedback for Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and look at Square and where their current situation is. But before we get into all that, Chris, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but instead of starting the episode with understanding what we've been playing and letting everybody know, i got to ask... What's the pizza situation in Connecticut? Connecticut just subjectively has the best pizza. Like the people who know know that I'm right. Well, the people who don't know are going to say, like, no, it's New York. It's not New York. And you don't get to claim New Haven because it's close to New York. It's not how that works. New Haven is in Connecticut. New Haven has the best pizza in the country. That's it. That's it. It's just New York hardos are going to tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. It's Connecticut. So. In, in looking at it, right, because uh, one of the patrons and longtime listeners now, Kyle Grimm, uh, talks about how he lives up in the, the Northeast and how pizza is just different from up there um, as a pair, as a, you know, compared to the rest of the country. But with that in mind, are you kind of of the viewpoint that Connecticut has better pizza because it's just inherently different? Or are they just like perfecting what Northeast pizza already does different? Well, I just think Northeast pizza is really good. And then I think maybe it's all the ghosts up here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like all the, the, all the ghosts of the different people who've cooked throughout the years. Yeah. You think they like get in the sauce? We're a hotbed for like witch, witch killings and ghosts mm. and all this stuff. It's, it's New England, man. Like yeah. we, we get ghost ectoplasm and all our sauce and <laughs> New England wins. <laughs> Hmm. Seasoning from the beyond. Yeah, do you think that's why Tom Brady and the Patriots were so successful for so long? Yeah, Just... Tom Brady's dead. You didn't know that? <laughs> that's why he plays for he's... so long. He's a ghost. 
He was literally a New England Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> he landed on the Mayflower and threw a touchdown. That's just oh, how yeah. this happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Plymouth Rock and all that, huh? In 20 years when a new <laughs> That was the first touchdown? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Tom Brady's the one who saw the rock. That's such a fucking dumb joke. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I guess technically Roanoke was the first touchdown, but you know what? It's close enough. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, one of these days I will visit the Northeast and I will try the pizza, Chris, and it's, I will have to let you know whether or not I agree. Because the problem is, is that culturally speaking, mm. my foundation of what my brain thinks of pizza as may tell me that regardless of how good it is, it isn't pizza to me. I, I doubt that would happen, but it no. is a curiosity because all I've ever known and all I've ever had Southern pizza, you know? This isn't fucking Chicago where we have soup pizza. It's not a real <laughs> thing. Deep dish pizza is disgusting. It is not pizza. It's just sauce. It's gross. Yeah, the only uh, the only interaction I've had with with you know deep dish Chicago yeah. style pizza is from a place here. Uh, what is it? Gasanos. I think it's like a chain. Uh-huh. I'm not really sure. I've only had it once, and it took for fucking ever. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was not very good. I didn't like it. Yeah. So. Listen, Do with that man. what you will. Interestingly enough, one of my favorite pizzas in town is New York pizza. It's it's what is that Joe's mean Italian pizza and pasta New York. I don't. It's clearly different than pizza that you can get at like any pizza joint. Thin, crust, you know what I mean? Like crunchy. It's like thin crust. The bottom of the crust, the crust is like really you know really Dark, yeah. crunchy, but not yeah, and it's. Uh, Pretty wide wedge slices that are quite large. Like a large well, is like 16 inches. Instead like of like triangles. You know. But yeah. But yeah, it's fair close. point. Yeah. And it's really greasy. Just super fucking greasy. Definitely greasy. Like you can, you can pat it down with like a, a napkin and it just soaks up all the grease. <laughs> yep. I, I've seen that yeah, it's, before. It's delicious. If Incredible you ever end up stuff. coming back down here, I'll let you try Joe's pizza and pasta. I'll bring. That's, that's what it is. A, a Connecticut pizza with me and on we'll, the we'll plane. We'll do it. We'll do a taste test. We'll do yeah. a t- <laughs> pizza off. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to New York. I'll fly out from New York just to get a Connecticut pizza, a New York pizza, and then we'll go try your inferior. I don't know barbecue. And we'll and we'll try we'll try local New York pizza, 100%. real New York pizza in Connecticut. You know what? We can make that happen. I like it, Chris. What, can you be here in two weeks? <laughs> I can try. Anything is possible when you can fly. Anything is possible when you can fly. But you know what else is possible? Telling these great people what we've been up to, what we've been playing, definitely since you were gone for a week. I was gone for a week. Uh, I haven't been playing very much. You just didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was gone. Um, No, I got the Platinum in Marvel's Midnight Suns, finally. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. happy about that Platinum. Wait, hold on, hold on. Golf clap. Uh, Thank you. Yep. Did a little bow. Um, No, I I really love that game. I don't know how much more I'm going to play of it because all the DLC trophies are glitched. And that's, it's just, it, I'm not going to play that whole game again <laughs> to, to do those missions. So, because I, I, to get to where the platinum, I did all the, de- the Deadpool and all the Venom missions. And the Venom missions were fine, they worked, but the Deadpool ones did not. So I'm like, well, I'm not getting this 100%. So I think I'm just going to save the hard drive space. When I want to come back to it in five years, I will. So, but yeah. great game. Really happy that it's not happy that it's over. I would don't. I was getting back into it really 
uh, excessively when I did get the platinum, but it is a nice little feather in my cap now that's over. So now I've basically only been playing uh, Cities Skylines uh, and uh, Outer Worlds Spacers Choice Edition. All right. Well, let's talk about City Skylines oh, first God. because yeah. I am curious about your experience with uh, Spacer's Choice. So, City Skyline, what's the deal? Why did you suddenly become addicted? Was it just one of those you tried it and now you can't put it down? Or have you just become like <clears throat> a, obsessively driven towards the platinum? Uh, it's a little of both. I'm a very big, like, numbers going up guy. Like, Which is why you love <clears throat> platinums. Yeah, it is. But like, I'm I'm the type where like I have a clicker on my computer, and I don't know if anyone knows what a clicker is. It's where you click, and then eventually you have to click less, and then the more you play, you have to click even less to the point where you don't ever have to click, but the numbers just keep going up. <laughs> and I have I have one of those that has like 999 hours on Steam or something like that. <laughs> I don't even know if I know what you're talking about, but okay, let's so, Okay, remember in Nier Automata how you can get you can the more you play through the game you start unlocking like auto dodge, auto move, auto shoot, auto attack, right? Like that's you get those upgrades if you build your character that way. Sure, I guess, yeah. So basically I know it exists. I I thought it was all at the very beginning of the game, but maybe it was. I only got I only put them on later into the game. Um, so basically in a clicker, you would be like, okay, I've upgraded my guns to the point where they now fire once a second without me clicking. Right. So then that's Mm. how the game starts automating itself. So then you get the points and they go up and I would get these, this game to a point where the only thing I was doing was basically upgrading my multipliers. So the game was playing by itself just all the time on my computer, just watching those numbers build up, but I barely played it. (laughs) And I love that game specifically for the numbers. And one of the things with City Skylines is if you play it right, the numbers go up. (laughs) (laughs) But if you play it wrong, as I've heard you talk long throughout the week, numbers go down. (laughs) See, no. Our numbers actually just stop. (laughs) That or the wrong numbers go up. (laughs) Also fair. Are, so are you a fan of the wrong numbers going up as well? Slightly less. <laughs> <laughs> like I still enjoy it, but yeah, not, I still, not I still as don't much. mind, but it's not as great. Um, yeah, mm. so no, it's just really fun. I really like the aspect of like building a city, trying to make it work. Um, I'm just not very good at the minutia of the game yet, which is traffic and traffic and traffic and traffic is so hard. It's so hard to figure out. <laughs> Because if you have like a like I have a coal power plant, but if my if the trucks take too long to get to the power plant with coal, then I run out of electricity. Then my whole city explodes. Mm. And it's that's been my battle so far is trying not to get my never to explode. Yeah, because specifically for the trophy part of it, I need to get to 100,000 citizens and then I can start knocking out some of the trophies. But I haven't gotten to a hundred thousand yet, and I've restarted like eight cities. Highest, I think, the highest city I have is around fifty, sixty k. So, just got to figure that that little bit of traffic. 
Mm. But it's so much fun. Well, it's, good luck to you. Thank you. I've I've said on the show <laughs> I'm going to get platinums before. This is one that I really want to get, but I don't think this is a Sekiro situation. This is going to be like, I can't figure this out. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. So. <laughs> In a game like this, the safe's coming. Is that like a viable tactic and something you even want? I love how you're looking behind you, <laughs> checking up on your city skyline. <laughs> Hold on. Let me check my city real quick. My uh, city's uh, going really badly right now. It's just there's no trash being picked up whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so this sounds like you're doing this entirely for a trophy. Then you're just going to safe scum your way back to... A yeah. good standing. Yeah, so there's trophies like um like the one I'm I have running right now is have a five percent or have your citizens be taxed five percent less than your industries. So I'm letting that run. And then there's a trophy that's vice versa. And then there's stuff like have seventy percent of your city educated. Um so there's stuff like that. So I just made a save at ten thousand and now I'm just do gonna knock those out once I get to a city that's productive. So basically, every yeah. city I've done, I'll save at a, at ten thousand. But if I continue building onto that city and it doesn't get to a hundred k, the stuff I need to do will not happen at ten k because the city won't last long enough. So, huh? You know, there's, it's times like that where it makes me wish that games like that game dev story that got ported to the PS4 mm-hmm. would have thought to make more interesting trophies because it doesn't have a platinum. And I can only assume it's because they didn't think that they could come up with enough interesting ones. You can play that game for a long time. So I feel like if that game just would have really been like, hey, try and use like you have to make a game using genres that shouldn't match up and just weird stuff like that. Like. The one thing I like about simulator games is that you have a lot of opportunity for interesting trophies that mm-hmm. will not necessarily be annoying, but they'll force you to play in a way you might not have thought before. Um, yeah. Which I think is kind of like my favorite type of trophy to where it doesn't actively annoy you, but it pushes you to try more of the stuff in the game and interact with the game in weird ways, but it's not actively pissing you off to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, c- cities. I haven't gotten into like the minutia of like, okay, this is the trophy I'm going for. How much does this suck? Because I'm just trying to build a city that survives. But I will tell you about one trophy that does absolutely suck. And it's um, <laughs> called A Thousand and One Nights. So City Skylines has a day-night cycle. The day-night cycle is what's attached to the trophy. <laughs> Not the days pass in-game. So... The platinum takes, they said it's like about 150 hours of just letting your PS5 run so that it does the day night cycles a thousand times. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty rough. So I like leave, I like leave it on for a full day, like while I'm at work, and then I go to sleep, and then I leave it on then, and then I turn it off the next day, and then the day after that, I let it run all day, and the day after that. I leave it off. So, <laughs> trying to you know, like when you're a kid and you don't have a memory card and you're like, I'm gonna see how far I can push this PlayStation Two before it blows up. <laughs> exactly. There was a few I times I got off the blow. bus and I came home and I was like, this PlayStation is hot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is hot. <laughs> I had it the other day. I was like touching the back of it and I'm like, I think it's okay. It's a little yeah, do you ever warm, uh, but... do you ever get box fans and <laughs> just like aim them at the back of your consoles? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, we used to we keep did, them like have... in, in the entertainment center too, which is like really bad for it. <laughs> Way worse. We didn't have an entertainment system because we were too poor. So our systems were always just out on the carpet, but carpet's not oh, good because it's not no. getting the right kind of input. So I remember at one point in time, it became a thing where we didn't have air conditioning for the most part either. So it was like we had box fans. So you'd sacrifice yourself. Like, I'm going to be not as comfy so that the, the, the PlayStation <laughs> is the right temperature. Because, like, the first six months to a year that we had the PlayStation, uh, a lot of early games didn't require a memory card. They did that weird thing where, like, uh, Crash Bandicoot had codes, passwords, the first yeah. game, where it's, like, passwords to get back. So you'd write those down. Um, but I remember you only got those occasionally, right? So if like if mom was like, "You got to go to bed," we'd be like, "We're gonna leave the PlayStation on." I'm 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 right at the I, I'm about to beat the final boss. I can't turn it off, <laughs> so you just leave the PlayStation on. And I remember one time we had the PlayStation on like for four days straight. Yeah, <laughs> it was before my parents got divorced. My dad came in there was like, "You, you got to turn it off." <laughs> it, it sounded like. Whoo- <laughs> <laughs> I, so when I was a kid. My parents got me the uh, OG Xbox. So I had the OG Xbox. But like I was a dumb kid. I didn't know what games were. So I remember we got a demo disc from a magazine that had (laughs) Halo Combat Evolved on it. (laughs) And in hindsight, it's like the first level of Halo Combat Evolved that we play that, that we play every day. But I still remember my mom making us go to bed. So we would like wrap a note around the PlayStation that was like, Dad, please don't turn this off. We almost beat the game. (laughs) Because it was a demo, it wouldn't save. (laughs) (laughs) So you're thinking you almost beat the first level, realistically. But you, you think it's the game? Right, but it's funny because I never actually played the full version of Halo until very recently with like Game Pass and Master Chief Collection. So I play. I remember playing the level, be like, "Oh shit, this is like twenty minutes of the game that took us hours as children." Well, if I remember, in the first level of Halo One, like really open too. Yeah, yeah. So I could see as a kid you being like, "Wow, yeah, <laughs> you there's know? so much to do in this mongoose or whatever it is." Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, old-time gaming was fun, but you know what? Speaking of old-time gaming, an old game by now. I'm kidding. It's not old at all. The Outer Worlds Spacer's Choice Edition uh, is a remaster, Yes, I guess, as far as you can say, of a not-so-old game in the Outer Worlds, PS4 game, uh, Xbox One game as well. Um, so what's been your experience? Because I know that there was one point in time where, of course, articles are uh, from specific sites like PlayStation or Xbox oriented sites are trying to be like, Oh, outer world spacer's choice runs so bad on PS five that people want refunds. And it's like, Oh, never mind, It just runs bad on everything or there's bug. It's buggy on everything. It's not specific to PlayStation five. So have you been having a lot of bugs out of it? Cause I know you played the outer worlds when you fell in love with it long after launch. And yes. after they had plenty of time to put patches onto it, the game wasn't incredibly buggy at launch as far as my experience with it either, but I'm sure it was only better. So has this been faring worse for you than your first experience or um, roughly the same? Roughly the same on a whole. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is like frame rate drops. And I yeah. know that the first day I played it, I thought the game had defaulted to um, fidelity mode. Because of how bad the frame rate was for me. <laughs> yeah. And it was not. It was on performance like 60 FPS mode. But 
It's not terrible. I don't think it's terrible. Like if I didn't love the Outer Worlds, maybe I could see it as something like, oh, I can't play this. This sucks. But just being back playing the Outer Worlds, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. This this, this rocks. Let's go Pavardi. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like your experience with New Vegas up until it got to be like literally painstaking. Because that game runs like ass. But anytime I go back to play New Vegas, I'm like, fuck yeah, you're playing New Vegas. Like it's it's a good time. Oh, yeah. Until it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I could ever suffer through New Vegas like that again. I'm kind of glad that I, I did. I I don't know if I ever sent it in our podcast Discord, but did you? Did I send you videos of just how badly it was running? I think no. I you've explained to me that it was like one frame per minute or something crazy something at along one point those in lines, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was bad. Um, Outer Worlds is nothing like that. The worst I've seen is like. Honestly, stuff that feels normal as like an older gamer, but someone younger might not see it as normal. Of like you kill, there's a big explosion and the frame rate chugs to like two frames. <laughs> <laughs> like that feels like a normal video game thing to me. So it doesn't well, bother. It, it, me. If nothing else, it's when you expect the game to chug the most. Right. So if exactly. it happens, it kind of just feels like, well, I already knew that was coming. Yeah. So it's not it's, an issue. And maybe it's because I play a lot of PS3 games and like. Like I before my city's obsession happened, I was playing Deadpool, and every time something explodes in Deadpool, it goes to like one frame, and so That's I'm used so to bad. it. It's terrible, <laughs> and the loading takes forever in that game. It, you know what? I really do think that every gamer should occasionally just pl- go back and play PS3 just to humble themselves. Yeah, because. PS3 exists in this really weird thing where you can see some of the DNA of where games are at today, like taking foot, but it's got all the worst qualities that you'd expect (laughs) realistically. Yeah, it does. And so it's just like, oh, I love this game. Why does it take a minute and a half to do anything? (laughs) Why does the game constantly is in 23 frames per second? And then if an explosion happens, it goes to negative three frames per second. I couldn't imagine how much faster I would have platinum Fallout New Vegas if I was playing it on anything but PS3. If there was a way to platinum it on anything but Right, PS3. like if it was on a PS4, I bet I platinum it in half the time. Because half the time is reading about Sunset Sarsaparilla bottle caps in the menus like while it's loading. That's like half the game. So Yeah. It's every now and then, you know, like the, the job I do, uh, mm-hmm. We have an install crew that goes out and does stuff, and I tell people, I tell like the other salespeople because they don't really do it. I'm like, every now and then, you just need to go out on an install. It gives you context that you just don't have otherwise. Yeah, and yeah, you think to yourself, I've been on an install before, so you think to yourself, in this case, I've played the PS3 before. You don't realize how much your memory makes you think the PS3 was way better oh, yeah. than, it, than it is in context to new. So it's a good way to a. It, I still respect the PS3 massively from it. But B, I also respect the PS5 way more <laughs> because I can't even imagine them still making games to this day that had all the same limitations that PS3 had. That would be awful. Like oh, if yeah, console no. generations just stopped. <laughs> oh, man. I yeah. know that we've mostly done visual things, but even those visual things do make a big change in how you feel. Can you imagine, like, I'm so spoiled by 60 frames per second at this point that when I'm not playing in 60 frames per second, I feel it. And I'm like, yeah. well, hey, what is going on here? See, 
I'm I'm I might be an outlier in this whole conversation, but unless I Though see it works something on PS3, running, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. But for me, unless PS3 I see feels it running, like it fits. It does. Yeah. It does. But if I don't see something running in 60 FPS, it doesn't bother me if it's not running in 60 FPS. But the second I see it, it looks like the game is running at half speed on 30 FPS. Because it, it is, is. <laughs> for sure. But like I, I could have I played my little bit of time with Horizon Forbidden West all in 30 until I went to yeah. Texas and he showed it to me in 60, and I couldn't do it again because I couldn't stop seeing the it looked like a slideshow after you see it, but before I can do it. So it doesn't bother me with PS3 games, at least. Yeah, I feel. All right, man. Well, I'm glad that your experience has been good. One of these days, I want to make it back to that game because it's a great game. Uh, I mean, it's a game that I beat and did a good bit of the side content in, but I did not conquer it the way you did. You, <laughs> you know, like you I didn't did go for platinum. And then so, I'm doing it again. I bet you are. <laughs> and you know what? I'm proud of you. Uh, man, my week has been almost entirely VR-focused. Uh, so I'm going to get those out of the way quick. There will be some VR talk this episode, but like you know, last episode we had a big chunk, and then we moved kind of more to a traditional episode. I hope that those of you who um, were able to kind of see where I posted used timestamps. There is more to the episode than PSVR. That is only around half of the episode and the rest we still wanted to have for people who aren't interested in it. So to be quick, horizon call the mountain continues to surprise the shit out of me. And it's probably the most fun I've had in a horizon game since zero dawn. And I, that honestly should be crazy. And I am aware of that, but somehow it works. I just think that that world really fits to being translated to that. And they did a good enough job that I would argue that in many ways, this game is not very far off from the way people talked about and the way that people felt for Half-Life Alex for VR on PC. I think that this is close enough to being something where you have a lot of level of interactivity and everything works pretty well. Uh, though occasionally it will show some of the issues. Like I need a I think I need to improve the lighting in my room for the game because one of my bulbs has been out for a while and I've just adjust, like adjusted to the darkness. Yeah. It's not really that dark, but the VR tells you like, hey, we need a bunch of light for tracking. Um, most of the time, it's not an issue, but every now and then when I get closer to the floor, like if I'm crouching or doing something, that's when I start feeling it kind of slip up a little bit. Um, but still, uh, now a game I want to talk about a little more in depth, Pavlov. I finally got around to trying Pavlov. I didn't get a chance to play it uh, before the last podcast because we've been getting windows replaced and they're all replaced now. But of course, that comes with all the stuff around that. Pavlov is just multiplayer shooting. and Dude, it is super fun. It's got a ton of different game modes. I played with uh, one of our listeners and patrons, uh, John Davis. Um, and... <laughs> We were playing TTT, which is essentially Among Us. You get given roles as a, a traitor or whatever or not. And that game has got such fun little things that pulls the PSVR 2's functionality in such fun ways. Um, the PSVR 2 has a headset or a microphone on the bottom side of the headset. So when you're in the game, you have proximity chat. And the proximity chat, as you're talking, if someone's near you, your mouth in-game moves to what you're saying in real life. And that's just yeah. a nice touch. And then the eye tracking is being used to where if they're not wearing something that covers their eyes, as they move their eyes, you can see their eyes move on their character model. And it makes things like the situation of trying to say who's a traitor way more funny. Because <laughs> it's just like you can see that people look moderately suspicious 
and I had some of the funniest interactions I've had in gaming in a long time in that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard really good things about Pavlov. Pavlov is super fun. I w- if you end up getting a VR like you've kind of been teetering on, you've got to play it with me. The other thing to know is that, dude, Pavlov has a and P- VR multiplayer in general has this. It's got a great community. Not once did I run into anyone who was being a dick. Everybody was being fun, having a good time, saying crazy stuff because you're playing a game mode where the whole point is to try and trick people. Yeah. So one of my big takeaways is there was a guy whose name was Danishing Act. <laughs> and I was messing with him because he was looking suspicious. And I was like, I don't trust the Danish. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not Danish. I'm provincial Pennsylvania. But as he's saying that, he accidentally pulls, because you can buy items and people can't see what you have on your chest, but you uh-huh. can. And if you're a trader uh, or one of those people, you can buy C, um, C4 and it'll sit on your chest and you can pull it out whenever you want and interact with it or you can set a timer on it. Anyway, he pulled out the C4 on accident while he was talking to me because he was trying to grab something else, and it was in his hand as he was saying it. So you just see him put that hand back, and another hand comes out with a knife and stabs me to death. And we're right around, we're like right around the corner from a group of a bunch of people. So it was it was pretty fun. Uh, it really fun time, really crazy time. I went in expecting to play for like an hour, and I played for three and a half hours. There you go. That's what I like to hear. I think yeah. PSVR will be something that I pick up. Like if I can do something like Afterpay where I can pay it in four, maybe I would do that. So yeah, we'll I can see that. See. Well, if you get it or if anyone else listening wants to play some Pavlov, um, it's something that's a little easier to make time for on the weekend, I think. But hit me up. I mean, I'm always down to at least try and make it work. Um, right before shooting today, right before the podcast, I decided – that I was finally going to try Cactus Cowboys Plants at War. And let me tell you, that game is shitty in the best way possible. <laughs> it's it's so bad. But also, it's got so much heart. <laughs> There's a training <laughs> thing. And he literally, he went through and did like AI voice lines. Every voice in the game is AI generated. <laughs> and it makes it so much more funny. But... He actually went through and had like the PSVR 2 versions like, you need to grab onto your PSVR 2 sense controller. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so goofy. Every like the, They all kind of sound weirdly choppy because it's AI voice. So they also sound like it, it's almost like someone gave them an emotion and then that emotion never changes. <laughs> it's just how they talk. <laughs> but it's really fun and it's surprisingly difficult. Is it? <laughs> yeah. And the thing tells you to be weary that it's surprisingly difficult, but it's quite fun. And it's got surprisingly solid shooting mechanics uh, and how you reload and everything. Like, you know, it's got the thing where just like in Pavlov, you've got to get, you've got to eject your, uh, your magazine and then pull one up from your belt and put it yeah. in and pull the slide back. Right. So like if you're in a pistol, you've got to pull it back. It's pretty fun. So That's for an absolutely <laughs> free game, I I kind of love it. <laughs> I watched the trailer for that game, and I can see why it's funny or why it's fun. It seems like you're you have to buy into the meme a little bit. To oh, one hundred percent. But oh, I'm glad you said that because the game starts with a guy with a kid playing Cactus Cowboys on his computer, flat uh-huh. screen like a normal thing, and his his. <laughs> 
his grandpa comes in and he goes, are you winning grandson? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, no, I'm just playing Cactus Cowboys. It should be better if they brought it to VR. So it's like the game's (laughs) super aware of itself. And the story framing is that this kid who's playing this modern game is being recounted the Sea Day invasion on Cacti Island of the bugs choosing to go to war with them. And so like every mission is like him telling a story to his grandson. That's really it's ridiculous, funny. But it's funny. So, uh, And then lastly, Hogwarts Legacy. I finally got back onto it after literally not playing it for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So my my biggest takeaway for PSVR is it has literally I have only wanted to play VR since I've gotten it. And this sounds a little crazy. I'm pretty sure at this point I have played more PSVR 2 than I did PSVR 1 the entire time I had it. And I bought it day of. Really? And I only sold it like, you know, two months ago, like around Christmas. Huh. That's great. I mean, that says a lot about the the way PSVR 2 must feel better than PSVR 1, right? Way more comfortable, way more interactive. Almost none of the weird tracking crap that you just hated. Uh, it's nice having vibration in not only your head, but on your hands when you didn't have it. The, the adaptive triggers are great. I think that most of the way... The, I, I, let me tell you this. I could never play a PSVR 1 game for more than an hour without just getting physically yeah sweaty and gross to a degree yeah yeah like a problem i had is um lens fogging on psvr1 like if i'd play and i'd do anything that got me even slightly worked up the lenses would get fogged up and i'd have to take it off and clean them i have yet to have that happen even in that three hour p like pavlov sesh where i was like up and down and crouching and running around and you know it's like it's little improvements but it's gone a long way. But it was finally nice to return to Hogwarts Legacy. I do think it's a good game. Though it's... I feel like some of the stuff just feels redundant because their whole point was trying to just appease Harry Potter fans. <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, why do I need to be able to ride a broom and a hippogriff? They do essentially the same thing. Yeah, I don't get the hippogriff thing. I don't And I think it's it. just because someone's like, I've always wanted to ride a hippogriff. And they're like, guess what, bitch? We got you covered. Because <laughs> everything about that game feels like have you wanted to do it as a fan of Harry Potter? Now you can. Except play Quidditch, the most interesting part Except of the book. <laughs> and I, I still am telling you, Quidditch is, I now that I've played the you yeah. know broomsticks, look, the flying is not great. It's not bad. It's serviceable for what how it's used in the game. Yeah, I think it's totally fine. There is no fucking way that you could introduce Quidditch with those flying mechanics and it be any kind of fun, any kind of even workable not happening no there's no way i that's why i think they took quidditch out and we're gonna get a full-fledged live service quidditch game in the next five two three to four years well even if you weren't right initially considering how well this game's been doing you're probably not wrong now (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it would be so cool though like it would be so funny if they did it as like a clone of Madden in this, even just releasing in the same way, but it's all yeah. fake uh, players. <laughs> every year they come out with a new roster. Yeah, every year it's a new roster. Like up and coming dude. Certain yeah. people start retiring out as they got too old and they're graduating. <laughs> they start having trailers, and it's just who's the cover athlete for Quidditch twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> 
That actually would be pretty funny. It's like Jamie uh, Dingledorf of Hufflepuff is the <laughs> cover actor for. <laughs> I go back to speaking of PSVR 2. Learning spells in that game, I don't understand the purpose of the, hey, drag the analog stick and hit these buttons. I don't think it's engaging. I don't think it's fun. The only way I could see that being fun is if you had a PSVR 2 mode where the whole point was for you to use the spell by having to learn the exact wrist movement. And I think that could be super sick. Yeah. The whole, like, QTE to learn spells is just like, why? You're never going to make me do this again. Yeah, it feels dumb, and I, I think it's trying to make you feel like you're doing it and you're having to learn something, but you you don't learn anything because you're not having to reuse that. Now, if I was playing in VR and you told me, okay, you've got to flick a, like an arc and then go straight up and then flick an arc in the opposite direction downward, okay, now yeah. I'm paying attention and I'm having to think <clears throat> about this. And then you know how when you're learning, there's like that red thing that's trying to catch up to yes, you, which exactly. I also don't understand because I've I don't get never even remotely got caught no. Same thing. If you're doing it and you're going too slow or whatever in VR, then it'll like your spell will backfire on you. That could be super cool. Yeah. That would be neat. Could you imagine though having to play that game and if you had to do the movements and you were trying to cast Revelio every 13 seconds and you're just like, I oh my God, you. I'm so tired. <laughs> Revelio, stop. Well, that that's why Revelio would just be like a, you know, it, it would be something so simple. Yeah, but it would be hilarious if they made it it the most complicated spell in the game. (laughs) Also would be funny. It's like two squiggles, Um, a slash, and an ampersand, and then you got it right. (laughs) See, it's funny you say that because I am surprised at how physical... Because I've never used VR in a way where I I was aiming at it being physical, like a lot of people do with Beat Saber. Yeah, I never got into Beat Saber, really. So good. But I'll tell you, I've been really surprised at specifically Horizon because... The thing about VR is like it's only sold to you as much as you allow yourself to be sold. And so like you climb a bunch in that game. And crazily enough, I think Sony's found a way to cling on to the climbing mechanic, but specifically in VR only. (laughs) But it's it's fun. But here's the thing. Because it's VR and you don't have any actual weight and you don't have to use your muscles, if you wanted to, as soon as you grab something, you can literally just pull your arm all the way down and then just climb with your hands below your waist with no effort at all but that's not very fun and it's not very immersive because physically your head is way above where you're climbing so it feels off so i go full cell mode whenever i'm climbing my hands are up here bitch i got my (laughs) my arms are getting tired of shit because i'm like over here like reaching and stretching for this next thing yeah i think it's fun yeah i mean i I remember i think i said it to you where i really wanted to do a TikTok of me seeing how much weight I could lose only playing Beat Saber. <laughs> I mean, why not at this point? Yeah. I'm surprised no one's taken that idea now that I've just said it publicly. It's gone. <laughs> Good. Gotta, it's out. God damn it. I'm buying a PSVR 2 right now because I, <laughs> I need to do this first. <laughs> well, Beat Saber's not quite out, but it's going to be soon. <laughs> All right. It's not even on Amazon yet. So once it's on Amazon, I'll buy one. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Can you not... Can you only buy PSVR 2 in North America, or at least in the U.S., yeah, from PS Sony Direct. Direct? Yep. That's why I couldn't get a, I didn't get a DualSense until recently, because it was uh, only on PS Direct. Interesting. All right. Well, with that said, I think we come to our first question that can mostly round out our PSVR discussion here. But since you're kind of flirting with the idea of buying one, 
We have Gamers well, Gamut who uh, <laughs> reached out and asked, do you feel like PSVR 2 has hit the ground running? We don't have any official numbers, and the future is very nebulous as far as what's next in the pipeline game-wise, but GT7 makes a strong statement along with a few others. Um, so, Chris, I know it's a little harder for you because specifically you haven't played PSVR 2. Sure. But I'm curious if your Twitter or just mine because of the nature of curation and who we've chosen to follow. As far as you can tell, how have you feel? Have you felt like the PSVR two launch has gone in terms of general community around it? You know what I mean? Like people being positive, negative and, and large. So my completely uneducated take about VR is that from what I'm hearing and what like my gut feeling as someone who's not following it, but is a gaming fan is that it feels very precarious and almost dead on arrival but i don't know if that, i don't know or believe that that's true but that's how the conversation feels because it feels like it didn't sell it feels like it's not going to sell if sony's not going to invest in games for it and sony's not going to invest in games for it if it didn't sell and then it didn't sell you know what i mean so it's that circle of how the vita died and how the psp died and how i get where you're coming from I think the weird thing, and this is also true of Vita, though, to be fair, I think the weird thing that we're kind of dealing with are me and people who are super into BSVR 2 is that because of the fact that we're interacting with it or whatever it be, I feel like PSVR 2 has gone overwhelmingly great. And people are talking about it on Twitter and stuff, but that's because I'm in a bubble of what I've opened up to and what I've put out there. So I think the problem is we're both in bubbles. They're just different bubbles. I think your bubble is almost devoid of people who are really playing PSVR 2 or mm-hmm. enjoying it. And my bubble is almost entirely full of people who are like, this is way better than I would have thought. And I've seen a few people be like, oh, it's good. Or oh, I ended up buying it and it's collecting. I, I played it you know, once or twice and it's now collecting dust like everything else. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of people be like, I've never used VR this much. Well, and here we are. So I think it's, I think that somewhere in the middle has got to be the truth and that it's probably mm-hmm. doing okay. And Sony clearly has their own thoughts, as we'll talk about a little bit down the line. But I, I guess I should be clear in my criticism in quotes is it's more, I've never heard that the unit's bad. But like, oh, sure. as sure. someone who's following it, right, I haven't heard any games announced for it that sound big, you know? Like, I haven't heard Sony, you know, there's no, you don't have rumors of Sony investing in a big title. You don't have a lot of stuff that, so that makes that, you know, makes you feel like, okay, they're investing in this heavily. It feels like a lot of like, well, Sony wants to be at the forefront of VR, so they'll kind of pay through the, pay through it. And then, but you don't hear anything of like, this is how they're investing in it. And this is what they're doing with the tech, you know? Like there, obviously, there's been no, no, nothing like Half Life Alex is coming out, or you're not hearing like whispers of Ghost of Tsushima two having a VR mode or Wolverine or Spider Man, and it makes me wonder as someone outside of it, like, are they really going to put the money to make this successful? Less about is the quality good, because yeah, yeah, the quality is I'm, great. Yeah, but. Yeah, well, I guess I meant in the terms of sales, right? Because you were talking about like it feels like it's dead on arrival because like nobody's getting it. But it seems to me, again, in that bubble that mm-hmm. a lot of people have bought it and ended up with it. But that's not truly indicative of anything because 
it's a small section of the internet that I'm being fed right that lines up with my interest because it's how the algorithms work and since your algorithms have never really been pointed towards vr content there's no reason for you to have that same viewpoint um sure it's also just industry there's a little bit of that industry knowledge right of if the v if the psp was a failure doing 80 million units then what is the psvr how can they how can they justify paying what they need to pay to make an interesting title for VR if it's only selling five million and that feels you know what I mean? That doesn't feel oh, like yeah. enough if there's failures of eighty million PSPs and it's like, eh, this wasn't that great. And then Vita sells however much it sold and it's like, well, we're never doing that again. And if they're never gonna do that when I know the Vita sold more than five million, which is what the PSVR one did like so how do i expect why would i expect them to invest and if i don't expect them to invest why am i buying and why am if i if i'm not buying because i don't expect them to invest they're not going to invest so then i'm not going to buy it you know what i mean it's just the circle yeah. of how these things yeah. die and that's what that's yeah. how i feel about vr and what the sales are showing me less about the quality or anything else so it could be the best yeah. thing in the world but just if no one well, buys think- it it doesn't matter I think a few things are happening there because I think your points are pretty reasonable. Like I understand where you're coming from, but at the same point, I do think that while outside looking in, it looks odd for a PSP at 80 million to not necessarily be a breakaway success. It was successful enough for them to want to do PSVR two or uh, PS Vita rather. Um, and then PS Vita did like 18 million, somewhere like that, 14 million, something to that, to that degree. Uh, and you think, well, PSVR one didn't hit that. Why are they doing this? I, I think part of the difference is, is that, Handheld, the handheld business was well established by the time that PSP was coming into play. And then by the time Vita was coming to play, it was really well established. And Nintendo slipped up out of the gate. And so Sony feels like there's no reason they shouldn't have been able to climb if there was going to be able to be that. It really helps that VR is nascent because I think that they get to set expectations more in line and that comes in place of how much money they're spending on the games. I also think people don't realize, I think VR development is just cheaper because people kind of understand the high risk, but also seemingly high reward for being a well-made and you know beloved Vita uh, or VR title rather. Uh, which also true of Vita, though. There was as high risk to develop for the Vita, but if you could get out there and people fell in love with it, you actually made money on Vita mm-hmm. as, as a developer. Now, sure. whether Sony did is a slightly different thing. Um, so I think we're too early for Sony to really have a thing like that, but I can definitely understand the hesitation. Um, and some people seem to think, like, you know, when Joel was on last week, he seemed to think that PSVR 1 kind of did that. And I don't feel that way. I feel like PSVR 1 was supported fairly decent, like not crazily, but pretty well by Sony all the way up until PSVR 2 talk started being really prevalent. But what is... Because you, you think about the launch games and then you think about Iron Man coming out in like 2021, 2020. Uh, that was four years after release. Yeah. You had Blood and Truth also like three, four years after release. You had, even up into 2021, you had PlayStation uh, State of Plays that were geared towards PSVR content. So it wasn't yeah. as forgotten as the Vita, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I guess as quickly dropped and abandoned, considering how much more niche it was. I, maybe this is a very weird conversation because this is entirely subjective, right? But Fair. nothing you said to me... Okay, so let me actually rephrase the question, right? Iron Man VR made for controller is probably like a four. 
as someone who's mm-hmm. played it, it's probably like a four, right? So am I invest? Am I really going to invest six hundred dollars on a game that, outside of feeling cool flying around, isn't very good? Because I think to me, again, my personal opinion, uh, that's how I felt about Iron Man. The whole selling point was that I was flying around shooting shit as Iron Man. But if you put that yeah. game on a controller, I'm not having fun. So when are we going to get to a point with PSVR where they can go Naughty Dog's next game is VR only? And I'm excited about that. That's where we have to hit a crossroads with VR for someone like me to not want to kill myself the second I hear Neil Druckmann and Naughty Dog are spending the next five years of their life on a VR exclusive title. Right? Like, and that's I, the big hurdle for VR and what scares me off of it is f- I, I can't see a time or a place where I'm ever excited for that, that news personally. And that's a big crossroads. I see where you're coming from. My, uh, I guess my last statement here will be that there will be occasional games like Gran Turismo 7 mm-hmm. where it makes perfect sense for it to be just as fun on controller or still very fun and good on controller while being just as fun, if not more fun, on VR. Those games will exist. And I personally think that while it wouldn't be an amazing, amazing game, Call of the, Call of the Mountain would be a fine game, in uh, a fine first-person interactive sim on PlayStation 5, free of VR. But ideally, with the inherent nature of what VR is, if you're really (laughs) using VR to its strengths and what it's good for, it shouldn't be good on a controller. It should be something that's only inherently good because it's built for the strengths of what VR offers that flat panel gaming doesn't offer. Uh, now, interestingly enough, that Gran Turismo 7 is a very strong selling point for a lot of people, and it's a game that's just as good, in my opinion, on flat panel. Actually, I think it's better on VR, but very good on flat panel. And weirdly enough, a lot of people are acting like Gran Turismo 7 went from being a shit game on PS5 to in PSVR 2, it's suddenly a, the best game ever. That's more like on the journalism side. Like Danny O'Dwyer was like, that game sucked on PS5. This is paraphrasing, but he was basically like, that game was awful on PS5. But now that I'm playing it in VR, the extra layer of immersion somehow makes it a good game. I'm like, no, (laughs) what the fuck does that even mean? Danny O'Dwyer is an idiot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I guess your point is right. Like a VR game should be best in VR. I guess in my head, I'm thinking translate exactly what it is and make it playable and run and and fun and fun is the only word I can come up with as a superlative on flat mm-hmm. panel. And if that get, if they don't hold up, I don't know what I'm trying to say. All I was really trying to say is that I don't feel like there's any real like nothing that's coming out on PSVR. We're gonna look at it at the end of the year and be like game of the year. Um, it seems unlikely to me as well. Right. And maybe maybe before their eyes because it was previously limited to PC only. Sure. Um, and so it's bringing up and it's a very beloved indie title. So new audience, new people only on that hardware as far as we can tell. Um, so that might happen, but I get your general stance is that it's going to be few and far between if it happens at all, ever. Yeah, I'm just waiting for, I don't know. The point I was going to make is really dumb because I was going to say, like, give me something that's more exciting to see in my library than Kayak VR, you know, 
Like, Which has I, sold incredibly well. It I, looks it looks <laughs> awesome. It looks awesome. But like when you're talking to me yeah, about a game, yeah. just saying, hey, you play that kayak VR, that doesn't that sounds like a game that exists in my job. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. So we're gonna go ahead and move into the community's take. If you listened last week, you'll know that the community's take was based off of the fact that LeBron James is getting his own special edition PlayStation plates and controller combo. And with that in mind, we said with LeBron James special edition coming, Ragnarok and Hogwarts getting only limited edition controllers. What is the one special edition console or plates controller combo? Um you'd like to see PlayStation put out for PS5. can be from any game, modern or legacy, or borrow from any PlayStation system style or library. What design would you be buying day one if you saw? And we got a lot of responses. Uh, So we wanted to shake it up. As you know, we put the community's take out. We ask it, excuse me, at the end of every episode, we look back at something we talked about or something new that's fun, and we ask you guys, and we go over your thoughts on the next episode. Uh, So if you want to be part of that, head over to our social media. Twitter is at TriangleSQRD. You can find us in Facebook or on Facebook in the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, or you can go into the description on this, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast service, and find our Discord where you can be joined in. We have a dedicated section for the community's take for you to put your answers out there for us. Patrons who went to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar per month, get preferred reading. But if we see some people that we haven't heard from, we like to try and shake it up and get some different perspectives, different people in, or get different answers if too many of the patrons' answers are similar or whatever it be. So with that said, Matt Green, one of our patrons, says either some competing games like Mortal Kombat versus DC, Mortal Kombat on one side with DC on the other, or something steampunk like The Order. And he is a fellow lover of The Order. Um, yeah, I could see that being cool. Like, a, you remember when they did Mortal Kombat versus DC? I mean, that would definitely be an interesting system. Hell yeah, I remember that game. That game rocks. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. Why not, man? Why not? All right. Kai Grimm, as we talked about earlier, another patron, he says, I really liked when they did the Star Wars Xbox 360 consoles. We talked about that last week. Uh, For the PS5, I'd probably want something similar. I wish there were more controller options in general. And I agree. You know, the colors of controllers make sense, and I think it's going to fit the biggest people. But I find it really interesting that we're only getting controllers for the occasional game i would have thought the first controller we would have saw would have been a horizon controller and we didn't get one no spider-man miles morales controller no ratchet and clank controller plates it's just like what does it take well how big of a game do you have to be on playstation for them to be like yeah we'll do a controller and yeah xbox is over here like we went out you told us to go outside and touch grass so we did so here's a grass green controller (laughs) (laughs) and it's like okay (laughs) <laughs> that's literally an advertisement by the way i want you to know i don't know if you've seen it i'm i like xbox the marketing for this reason it would not surprise me if in a couple months they start an xbox series s branded bag of potatoes and i think that's really funny <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, why not at this point? Same as like the fridge they did for the Series S or X. It's hilarious. They do funny stuff like that. They just can't release games. Just kidding. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> it's true. Now, we just need Sony to release a router that looks like the PlayStation 5. <laughs> they, they've been doing that for decades. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gaming so, next router. one up. Uh, Jason G. Haven't heard from him in a while, uh, though I did talk to him about Destiny and Forspoken, and he seems to be enjoying Forspoken as well. We'll talk about that game in Square in a little bit. He says, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plates slash controller combo. Swipe it. Or Devil May Cry, but hands down, turtle emoji. So my man wants uh, Ninja Turtles. So here I was thinking that through, right? And I actually think the simplest way to do this, and I think it would look slick, would be to do like a asphalt material that's kind of textured. Mm-hmm. And then just dead center, you have some cracks that are going towards the circle and dead center. You just have the fucking manhole cover that says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on it, like slightly off kilter like it's opened. You know oh, what see, I mean? my, my idea is so much simpler and so much better. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Throw it to me. It's a green controller, and the touchpad is blue, red, purple, and green, and whatever the other color is. Like That's you mean, it. like all four on like yeah. bam, 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 bam. Yep, like on just one a, controller. Just a turtle green controller, and then the touchpad is the color of the turtle. <laughs> I've got the turtle green controller, but the back grip part—you know how it's a separate section—is shell. Shell. Yeah, it's perfect. That's the that would be the perfect TMNT controller. That would be nice. Even put some eyes on the the touchpad if you want. Mm. Mm. Because I think the one on the dual sense is a little, uh, the edge is a little smaller, but you could fit them. Yeah, why not? (laughs) You make it work. Yeah. That's what I would love to see. Uh, I'll talk about it here in a bit, but I kind of did a little mock up too that I thought was. It's just like I want to see Sony up their game, and that's a way of doing it. Things like that where it's like, let's just do something unique and interesting, right? The weirdest part is not the controllers, like controllers or whatever. But how is there no custom faceplates? Like, it's so easy. Like, I have the blue ones. And, like, if you told me I could stick a Red Sox logo on it and get a Red Sox blue, I would have that already. Like, I don't know why they don't have that. Or even, like, a like I, I think we said at the beginning when we were talking about what we thought they could do with this. It's just every collector's edition has, has panels for it. My Resident Evil 4 collector's edition should just come with those panels if I get the PS5 one. You know? I don't oh, know why be they cool, but that re- that would require Capcom to make those. I think what it should be is like they did with the controller for Hogwarts, where it's just like Resident Evil Four remakes coming. It's a big game. We've partnered with Capcom and we made Resident Evil plates. Well, exactly. and, you know, people talk about how they keep trying to make Sony the go to place, and actually, I was going to get to that. A lot of the games that were put on here are third party games. And third-party games, people don't want to think about it, but PlayStation is where most third-party games are played by nature of being the most dominant system uh, in terms of the console environment, not necessarily PC. Um, but like the next one, right? Fighting Game Nerd says Tekken, Jen on one side, Kazuya on the other, uh, or just the whole cast all around, or Tenchu. Tenchu could be absolutely epic, and Tenchu could be absolutely epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, have you heard this rumor? I brought it up to him, but did you hear, and I, I haven't bothered to look, much further into it. So you may have since you fell down a Sekiro rabbit hole. But mm. apparently at one point, Sekiro was supposed to be a new Tenchu, Tenchu game. Yeah. No, and true. then they wanted to change enough and so they just decided to make it like a spiritual successor. 
Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. At least, I mean, it, it definitely checks out. Yeah. I, I can see it without that. I, I mean, I've never played Tenchu, so Tenchu was a Sekiro like <laughs> game for me. So, <laughs> oh, dude, really? Yeah. The, which I guess that makes sense. You were talking about coming in. I think the first Tenchu game was like ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah. And then we only got like two more. There was like a PS2 one, and then they had a really early 360 one, if I can recall. Uh, if, well, if even that, it may have just been an original Xbox game. It's more of what I said at the beginning of the show. Like my pedigree with PlayStation starts like PlayStation 3 era. So. Well, yeah, but Tenchu was on Xbox as well, surprisingly. If I'm remembering right, because there's Tenchu, Tenchu Z, and then. There was another Tenchu game. I swear it was a 360 game. I just can't remember what it was called. Wrath of Heaven or so. Or that was maybe the PS... Tenchu Z is the 360 one, I think. And then, yeah, Tenchu Z was the 360 one. And then they had Shadow Assassins. Like it, There was a whole bunch of them in a very short time period. But I don't think there's been a new one since like 2006. Yeah, I'm not sure. So... Yeah. Maybe we'll get a new Tenchu in when we get our new Legends of Dragoon. Hey, maybe. B Raj88, another one of our patrons. He says, with the straight up bangers the last two Spider Man games have been, it would sell a ton and would look sick. And you could even have a few different variations. I want Spider Man. J. Jonah Jameson noises. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Spider Man. Um, and then Rude Days 93 backs up on that and goes to go off of this with Venom somehow involved in the next game. A red PS5 for regular Spider Man and a black one for Venom. I'm in. Or, hear me out, guys, a combo plate set where one side is red and one side is black with the venom, but the red on the corners has just a little bit of the black symbiote kind of like trying to crawl over onto it. <laughs> I would like that. That would be pretty cool. And then you could do the same with the controller. The controller could be red in the front and have the Spider-Man texture pressed into it to where mm -hmm. it's like actually in there. And then the back, you can see like black where there's like little tendrils trying to come up and yeah. surround it. I think there's very little possibility of this, but because I don't think <laughs> they'll ever do like a custom console ever again because they don't need to. They soon do the faceplates. But I want them to. 100%. I want them to start doing the stuff where. Do you remember when? Taco Bell gave away the Xbox, and when you turned it on, it was the Taco Bell dong. You just got into one thing that no one mentioned. Xbox does that for all sorts of stuff. Yeah. The, X, the, the 360 that uh, Cogram mentioned, that had the R, it was R2-D2 360, and it was like yeah. a gold C-3PO camera for the Kinect. Yep, and it um, booted up with the Star Wars. Or the controller was gold. That's what, Yeah, and it booted was. up with like... R2-D2 sounds. Yeah. And then the Gears one, when you booted it up, had like the Gears Locust monster sounds whenever you did that. That's um, pretty sick. The Cyberpunk one had like a weird Cyberpunk noise. that It was awesome. <laughs> and that's such a small thing that I realize I have a relationship with that with Sony, but only in an unofficial modded way because <clears throat> one of my favorite things about the PSP was that when you modded it, you could mod the boot things for any game. So you could have it to where the game booted up with crazy stuff. And I yeah. have wild ones with crazy sounds and stuff. And that was cool. Every single one. But somehow just, Sony's moving away nuts. from all that. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I hope they get more in-depth with it. Yeah, it'd be really cool. Man, that's a shame. Anyway, we go to our last answer before we talk about everything else in this. And one of our patrons, Velvet Thunder, 
posted a picture that says remote kiss. And it's like a weird device that you slide your phone into and it connects to. And there's like a silicone mouth. And I guess you kiss it and someone with the the same thing elsewhere, they kiss it and it moves to how your moves, your lips move. I don't know. But it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) If anyone who wants to use that needs to talk and is feeling lonely, uh, you can reach me on the Discord, which you can join our Discord in the link below. <laughs> the problem with this Don't buy is that you know someone's already sitting there like, wait a minute, remote kiss? We can do so much more. <laughs> Good remote blowjob. What if it was like a portal gun inside? So you <laughs> stuck your dick in and it's actually her on the other end. <laughs> oh man this is so this is terrible this is so bad oh wow uh, i love that absolutely vile. yeah th- this makes me uncomfortable to look at and i probably will end up posting this picture somewhere else for more to see because Just overlay it superimposed i'm gonna i'll put it a timestamp so you know where to impose it so chris since you were out what would be one of your go-to make you excited right now besides your Red Sox one? Do you have a go-to in your head of you'd see it and you'd be like, holy shit, here we are. Let's go. Persona 5. Oh, okay. P5 Royal. Yeah. So what would you want on it? Like what would your what would your since we're talking, what would your dream design kind of be? Honestly, for that, you could go really complicated and have all the phantom thieves on that. I would just want a red PS5, and in the center is just an unopened an unopened invitation. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's okay. all I need. It's all I need. All and right. then you open Fair it enough. up and it says, uh, Link has, <laughs> Joker hasn't been invited to Smash Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a physical piece of paper that yeah. you can open. You pull a string and it just mm-hmm. unfolds. Yeah, it's right where the SSD is so that you can open the, the, the letter and put it in. No, but for me, it would that be would like something. also be amazing. Yeah. Give me something for Sona. It would never happen, but like, give me a Fallout Three with like a vault door on the side, and then a uh, brother See, uh, steel guy. This is where, yeah, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to be with this. And my proposal for this, I posted on Twitter because I think it's a genuinely good idea, and I don't think they'll ever do it just because of the type of company they are. But I don't know if you've ever seen these things where. They're like Shadow Drop, I think was the name of the site. And it's where you pay for something. And as long as it hits enough sales, everybody gets that same locked-in price because it's based on the fact that enough people bought it for them to be able to contract with the company to make a batch that say Shadow Drop that are at a significantly cheaper price. So it's that concept of having people prepay for something, but there's kind of a saving grace to it. So my thought process was to have Sony say, <clears throat> essentially, you do drops once a quarter, however often it be, of plate slash controller combos that are prepay before they ever even go into production. So they're pre-order and you prepay up front. The money leaves your thing. All the risk goes out for Sony. And they use legacy IP as the focus for the design. So they could still do new ones that they release as part of their thing and they mass produce them. But then they can do runs where hey we'll make as many as people prepay for and we'll only make that much and the you know it's, it's 
I think that it's a good way to go. And then you could take legacy IP that people love, but Sony doesn't necessarily want to do anything with. And you could be like, all right, here's uh, the order 1886 PlayStation um, and controller combo. All right, bam, they are. All right, now we're going to do third party games that people loved on us. Here's a Persona 5 plate combo. And we've worked with Atlas. All right. Oh, you played Fallout on PlayStation. We've worked with Bethesda. That one might not happen, but it would be cool to be like, we've worked with, we've worked with Bethesda and we have the, the Fallout 4 vault uh, opening on, on the side. You're muted, by the way. It's um, Deathloop. <laughs> yeah, Deathloop. So th- that's what I mean is why not look at, keep going. You talked about like uh, Legacy, uh, you know, Legend of Dragoon. Why not do that? I would pay for that right now. It's like, dude, it make it make go make a God of War like classics God of War style plate setup. Mm-hmm. And charge me make a, a resistance style setup, and, and that's what I mean. Make it expensive, but to me, partner with people from the original developers who did the art, or go find the original artist, partner with them, pay them to do it, and you make it like this kind of exclusive feeling art thing where everyone who wants one has an opportunity. They're not limited. But they do, that way you can be like, here you are. We've worked with the original artist and came up with a cool design that we think celebrates this game. And I think it has a secondary effect of helping them look like they actually give a shit about their past in a way that I feel like Sony's not done a great job of since PS5. Yeah. They were doing really good at it beginning of PS4. Uh, and then it kind of just started to peter out. And I know that they're trying to do that with the PS Plus stuff going on. Um, and I just think it's too slow. So this is a good way to celebrate that, not be out of any money, and come up with cool designs. And I think it gives you something. No one else is doing this. People look at Sony and go, well, why aren't you just letting people custom make their own things like Microsoft does? And you just go, well, Sony is coming up with drops for celebrating IP that they love. And maybe you go through the office and have Shuhei pick a game that he wants to do this. And this drop this quarter is from Shuhei. It was his pick. And they worked with the Legend of Dragoon artist, and they came out with the Legend of Dragoon thing. All right, Mm. cool. Next week, we went to Ken Levine, and Ken Levine was like, let's make a Bioshock Infinite, you know, our original Bioshock. Let's make one for Rapture City, you know? Yeah. What I think would be the coolest way is to be like, here's the Naughty Dog collection. Here's the Bethesda collection. And then do it like Fortnite skins. You got a month, and then they go away forever. Like, that's how I would would I would like that, but but are you still saying like prepay, though? Like where you, you just put them out and say, here they are? I think it'd be... I think it'd be more financially viable for them to create the want to keep up and be like, what are they going to announce next if you only do one game at a time? You well, know I'm more I mean? saying, I'm thinking like the Naughty Dog Collection would have like Jack, Nathan Drake, Joel, and Ellie on it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it would be like yeah. a collage of their stuff, you know, rather than, oh, The Last of Us one and it's a fern or whatever the hell they have in that game. Yeah, fern. So. <laughs> like celebrate your your developers and the people around you publishing like here's the final fantasy one and it's like a cool art thing of final fantasy 1 through 16 on it and like showing the different art you know the stuff like that i think would be really neat yeah either way i think that they could do something more and i would really i'm excited to see them eventually do that but i'm also curious if they're going to try and keep the plate design the same for any pro or slim console so that they can Anything that they do, they don't have to redesign. It's like all the plates are just interchangeable between all consoles. Mm. But then it makes you wonder, like, how much can you really do a slim PS5 if all you can do is make it thinner? Because <laughs> you can't make it shorter at that point. 
Yeah, they have to. Maybe they'll commit to it with the PS Five Slim, just so I have to buy a Slim to get my Persona faceplate. You know what? Them devilish bastards might just do that. Well, honestly, a little bit of a tangent, but I think it would be more likely that we get a Pro than a Slim, strictly so that they don't have to change the design, because I think the design is pretty purposeful for these plates to sell them. So, Yeah, and I would agree if they'd actually been doing anything of value with the plates. Yeah, that's also valid. They're almost, yeah, they're hardly ever in stock, and not because everybody's buying them, but just because they don't seem to make very many of them, and they just kind of go, okay. Yeah. So either either we have the problem of feeling like our perception that people would buy them a lot is way off base, or... Well, Sony just doesn't see the value of it, so they're not doing it at a large enough scale. But I would argue that looking at Sony's sales of just the color-based plates is not indicative of what would happen if they actually made interesting custom plates. Right. And yeah. definitely considering that the colored plates are $50. Yeah, like people would buy a Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 plate to go with their collector's edition three days For $70? Early. Yeah, dude, yeah. make it make it $69.99. Same price as the game. And right. it would happen. That would If it was actually interesting and unique and not just a, fan, a, a color, it'd be way more likely for people to do it as a, as a like, buying on a whim, mm-hmm. you know, like an impulse buy, than being like, oh, I'm going to impulse buy a $50 blue plate. Like, that is technically what happened with me and my galaxy red plates but it took me months of being like oh i guess they're not going to do anything more interesting so i'll settle that was literally it <laughs> mm-hmm. i yeah. gave them like six months after they announced them and i was like nothing nothing for god of war nothing for anything okay i'll buy the galaxy red one well and yeah that's how i got my blues is i was like the galactic purple was out which is the one i wanted and it's like oh we don't know when they'll come back in stock and i was in the mode that i needed to get new plates and i wanted new plates so i went with the blue <laughs> Part of me wants to just use the white ones and see if I can come up with something like custom make something onto it or custom print and lacquer or do something definitely onto could. it. They're like dip but, painting shit know. people do. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely do that, but I'd want to do something like complex. Like maybe smooth it down so that I could lay stuff on it and <laughs> lacquer th- coat it up and then apply texture on the outside. That'd be cool. Who knows, though? Maybe one day. Uh, do a big scan of it and just 3D print. You know, get a scan of it and then 3D print what I want out. Make mm. my situation like I was talking about. Because, <laughs> uh, like I say, I think Sony needs to start incorporating depth and embossing and stuff into their designs. Because why not? Uh, it's a lot, a lot more interesting. But that's okay. Uh, moving along, then. Thanks to each and every one of you who uh, gave an answer. <laughs> a lot of fun ones there. Uh, None are mo- none are as memorable as the remote kiss, though. So, Velvet Thunder, you've won that. <laughs> We're going to move into the news. The first thing up on the news uh, is speaking on a kind of funny podcast. Neil Druckmann indicated that Naughty Dog has already begun work on the next project. "Quote: I know the fans really want Last of Us Part Three. End quote. Uh, or rather, he said, "Quote: I hear about it all the time, and all I can say is that look, we're already into our next project." So the decision has already been made. He also went on to say that a prequel to the first game was considered and a different studio would have done it. Sadly, while the studios worked together for a while on the idea, it ultimately did not pan out. End quote. Um, or rather, going on the while. So, yeah. What do you think a, a prequel to The Last of Us would have been? 
I don't know, because I think the most interesting stuff to hear about would be what Joel was doing in those 20 years. But I, f- I couldn't find it when I was writing the news. I don't know where I got it in my head. But I thought that he had said it would be with a different character. So at that point, it's just it's just a different it's just another post apocalyptic game with you'd hope good storytelling like they usually have. So I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. That's kind of my thing. Ish. Is originally I thought that the Last of Us moving forward would be different characters, but since they kind of burnt that, feels like doing a prequel <clears throat> with different characters now would feel like well. Why didn't you just do that with the sequel too? And I liked the sequel, so that's not me saying that. It's just you could have avoided, and not that they should have. They should have made what they wanted to make, mm-hmm. but you could have avoided a lot of the flack that happened from that decision by just doing different characters. But at the same time, it is a far more visceral reaction because of the love you instill for those characters in that first game. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I said it during our spoiler cast, but I still maintain. The best way to have done the trilogy would have just been part two was was you playing as Abby in a world of the Last of Us style thing, and the ending was her doing what she does at the beginning of two. That would have mm. been fucking awesome. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see really a lot of that. But I also still really like the game we got. I, I think the most I think the most common criticism that I honestly agree with, and I think it's where you and I agreed on the spoiler uh, chat. Is that realistically, I think it's just the way that they went about organizing the story that they had. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the story. I think that there's reasonable complaints to be made about the pacing and and the way in which they chose to give you this information. But I still enjoy the game and look forward to replaying it soon because I still don't have the platinum. So might as well go back and do it. Get her in there. Make sure you do it on New Game Plus. Uh, before we headed to the next news thing, we'd like to remind you guys that if you like what you're hearing and you're on a podcast service that lets you follow us, follow us. If it also gives you the opportunity to rate or review us, consider doing that so that people can know whether or not we're worth their time. If you're on YouTube and you're watching, consider hitting that subscribe button if you like what you're seeing. That way you can always be alerted whenever the new episodes come out. Uh, And if you ever have anything you want to talk to us about, just go down to the comments below and let us know. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity to hear different sides, different perspectives, and to learn more about things that we say on the podcast that sometimes we don't have a very good grasp on because of plenty of things, just like what happened with Landis. So we appreciate that. Like having fun conversations in that. And of course, if you want to have more day-to-day conversations with us, you can hop into the Discord and mess with Chris about the fact that it'll be 20 years before he gets the City Skyline uh, Platinum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now I have to do this. I'm knocking it out. Oh, I know. I'm taking a vacation at the end of April. You'll have like three weeks. In in three weeks, if I don't get a 2 a.m. here's the Platinum message from you, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed because that means I've been playing this for three weeks and I haven't started Resident Evil 4 yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of Resident Evil, that goes into Capcom and Capcom have given us a date on when Monster Hunter Sunbreak comes to consoles or rather to uh, Xbox and PS4 since it's already on Nintendo. The DLC will cost $39.99 and will release on April 28th, 2023. So not too far off from the initial release and just about a year out of that Nintendo contract. So if you were excited and you enjoyed Monster Hunter Rise, you got more coming for you. I've not actually gotten into the Sunbreak content, um, but I hear 
that it's quite good and more difficult, which is interesting because I do think Rise is a very easy game for Monster Hunter, which is great for people like Chris who bought Monster Hunter Rise, but I've yet to see play. I played an hour or two. <laughs> Did it Look, do anything to change your opinion on Monster Hunter? Yeah, I think it's fun. I've been playing with okay. uh, the dual blades. Um, I did a bunch of quests. Listen, I, I want to make this clear. If Blake had never posted the trailer for City Skylines 2, I never would have started City Skylines, and I probably would be halfway through Monster Hunter Rise. So, <laughs> so Blake, this is your fault. <laughs> we have not played And he was MHR one of the ones that wanted you to you. play MHR the most. Yes. I do like it, though. I, I, I started it, and I was like, yeah, this seems fun. This, this, this seems cool. Now that you've bought it, I don't have to feel bad about buying a game I already own on a different console. Right. So I can download it and play it with you. This is true. So fair point. Fair enough. All right. Uh, speaking of Capcom, continuing on looking at Resident Evil 4, GameStop originally secured exclusive rights to sell the collector's edition of Resident Evil 4, as you may remember. And now the company has canceled all pre-orders of the package that were made inside of GameStop stores physically. It appears that online orders have been unaffected. Customers who reserved a copy are able to move the money elsewhere or get a full refund. What do you think is going on here? Why would it matter whether or not they were done in store or online? My bet is that online sold out much faster than they expected. And then they just didn't get the allotment for what they sold in stores. Man, that's crazy. Because you got to think like they announced that and then it's up. As I pre-ordered mine like right after the state of play. So... Mm -hmm you'd have to imagine all the orders came in after that state of play for people rushing to get the collection edition. And then the next day people went in store and by the time they got in store, they thought they had enough, but they didn't, <laughs> you know? Well, that's, that's the purpose of allotment though, right? You know, allotment is supposed to be, these are allotted for online sales. These are, these are allotted for this store, this store, this store, this district. And that's kind of how that was in the past. Now it definitely could have changed up, but this is definitely a big blunder. It's happened plenty of times before. Uh, and it's not something that's fun to have to deal with. I pre-ordered a uh, one of the Majora's Mask new Nintendo 3DSs. And Best Buy had to cancel a huge chunk of them because somehow their system had a number greater than what their actual allotment was. And so they sold a lot of them that they were not able to fulfill. But... But they sent out yours? $50 Best Buy gift cards as a, hey, we're sorry for our fuck up. Here's kind of like we've refunded you your money and here's a $50 Best Buy gift card in addition to that. Yeah, I guess the one weird thing about this situation and... I don't think GameStop can afford that. <laughs> no. But the weird part about this situation and even that situation, right, is obviously that I understand that collection editions are more expensive to make than box copies. Course. But like, yeah, of course. if you've sold them, just make more. Even if you have to say like, hey, listen, we'll refund this, we'll transfer it to another game, or you can have the, you can have your collector edition copy a month later. But you're you're in a reprint phase. This isn't like something like the Firefly edition that was like a numbered limited edition kind of run. No, I, I highly, I highly doubt my my Leon statue is going to come with like a zero zero seventy eight. You know what I mean? So it's like, why not just make more of them and then delay it and then sell three hundred dollar copies of this game? <laughs> well, 
if you want to know the short answer, it's because of how they do with production for all this and all the agreements they make and the price that they set is because they base it off of a certain number that they plan to produce. Um, and so oh, trying yeah. to come in and do that again and do a second run means that all of them will cost more because you're creating far less and it'll be, it, they'll have to be reproducing, mm-hmm. not doing it at the same time as all the original production. Uh, do you remember the Fallout um, 76 yeah, collector's edition? Contr- yeah. And it was more than just a bag, but the bag was supposed to. They promised that they would send canvas bags and that the reason it happened was because of a canvas shortage, which I don't believe. But let's just say for a second that it was. They said they were going to fix that, and they never have, from what I understand. No, no one they, who got any of, of the nylon bags ever got a canvas bag. <clears throat> but all of the... Uh, big influencers that they wanted to help have people want to go buy that did Not get canvas. canvas bags. So all Sketchy. I'm saying is it's, it's clearly not as easy to just go back in and do these things as you may think, or at least from a cost perspective, I don't think that they'll ever get there. It's kind of why during that thing where I was talking about with PlayStation, I like the idea of PlayStation putting the onus on the fans. Like, listen, we're making a, the order 1886, uh, set or we're making a resistance three set or whatever it is we're making a set but you're going to have to come and you're going to pay up front so that we're not wasting money on stock that we're not going to be able to sell in the long run we're yeah. only going to make to demand and I think that that's smart yeah I mean even I, I would even be willing to do it if they were like we don't anticipate this one to sell as well so because of our anticipated numbers we think that the order one will maybe sell you know, 3,000 copies of the plates controller combo max. And so that means that the controllers and plates are going to be more expensive to make since they can't be made in this big mm-hmm. of a bulk. So the control, the price for this setup will be $120 for controller yeah. and plates. See, but but I get- this, this one that we think is real popular that we think will sell 10,000 units, it'll be $99. You know, whatever, you know. I guess my the big thing I would say <laughs> to that is... These collection editions sold out months ago, and I know this mm-hmm. is happening today, but they could have fixed this problem when they realized it, because they must have known about this for a lot longer than their, than just a couple weeks. You know you sold through your allotment oh, immediately, right? Not immediately, but you know what I mean, soon enough. So they yeah. had the time to go to Cap- for them to work with Capcom on, again, an exclusive collection edition and be like, we need this many more. We've already sold them. You know, and the like answer you're, you're once again comes money. into production. But that's what I'm saying is it was early enough that they could have upped the order and fixed the issue. That's all. Well, you, you, you think so, right? Yeah. But you know what? Because I work in an industry where production is directly affects, affects my stuff. Uh, I didn't even understand this until I went and did that. Uh, whenever I was up, you know, near your stomping grounds when I yeah. went to Boston, um, when we walked through their plant, they kind of talked about it. So your order gets placed, you know, they say they have a 10-week lead time, right? Uh-huh. And your order gets placed, you know, 10 weeks ago. Your order is not being made that entire 10 weeks. What's happening is that they're entering the order for the materials that are going to be used to fulfill your order. And then about three days before it's supposed to ship, they make it all in three days. And then they go. And I would assume it's something similar. So trying to just be oh, hey, we sold through our allotment. Capcom's probably like, we've already worked out a deal and there's already lead times. And the only way that we could do it now would be to delay the game. 
And I'm sure Capcom's like, we're not going to delay the game just <laughs> for, for you know for some collections, a couple right? couple hundred more collector's editions or whatever it be. So it's a valid point. It, it does suck though. I my heart goes out to anyone who went into the store. My only real advice, and is I hate this as someone who doesn't like having to rely on online ordering and just how much they pushed it to being one of the only ways you can do it. If it's something you care about, pre-ordering in store is almost not an option anymore for you to guarantee you get it. Oh, absolutely not. And I not. hate that that's even how it goes, <clears throat> but that's where we seem to be. So, unfortunate, but hopefully everybody finds some way to get lucky enough to find one. Maybe you'll have good good luck. You know, one of my favorite stories, as dumb as it is, I was young and dumb with money, and I pre-ordered the Killzone 3 Collector's Edition, and then... I spent too much money right before it came out and didn't have enough money to pay it off. So I canceled uh, that collector's edition the day of. <laughs> yeah. And so the collector's edition sat in our store at GameStop. I was an employee. <laughs> <laughs> and it sat in our store for a year. And after a year of no one buying it, they just marked it down to like $30. And I got that super cool, it's not even in camera frame right now. Actually, you can kind of see, see it. it. I, got the, I got everything in that collector's edition, including another copy of the game that I'd already bought and beat for like 30 or 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, this is sweet. But it didn't always work that way. I had a buddy who got the Days Gone collector's edition for, um, for $60. That's sick. I'm going to go find one. <laughs> I was like, damn, I wish I would I wish I'd have known. All so, I know is I'm getting the Resident Evil 4 collection edition, so suck it. <laughs> luck be with you. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's it's still active. They told me a couple days ago they're getting ready to charge me, so I think it's coming. So we'll see. Hopefully I don't <laughs> spend another three hundred dollars on a survival horror game I don't like. <laughs> oh, I can only hope that that doesn't happen. But moving on to the next piece of news, and this one's kind of big. So last episode that Chris was on, we were kind of talking about our, you know, our thoughts about the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League footage that we got from the newest state of play. And after that, according to Jason Schreier, the game has been quietly delayed from its May release date into the later half of the year. So Jason Schreier indicated that the delay was more likely for polish than a reaction to fan feedback. But part of the reason we were hearing is that it did come after the feedback was not as stellar as they hoped for from the state of play. So separately, Jeff Grubb indicates that the game may end up being pushed even further out. And so that leads to a pretty big question. And the question of that is, is that if we are to believe that the delay came as a result of the feedback and the excitement for the game not meeting expectation after that state of play. If they're saying, oh, fan feedback is the reason, what fan feedback do you really think that they could reasonably fix or at least severely minimize the the problems people had and uh, and the delay that still keeps it in this year, even if we're talking December. So in, let's say they get nine months more to work on it, or you know six months more for out from their May period. Do you think that there's anything they could do in that six month period, reasonably, realistically, that would change your position on where you feel like you'd be where you, maybe that game moves to a day one buy for you, or do you hmm. think most people that had this problem where they saw it were like, oh, that's not what I was expecting from Rocksteady. Do you think that there's really no way to completely solve that problem? Yeah, I can't imagine a way to come back from that. And 
because you'd have to change the fundamental design of the game. Because the big issue is that people don't like its live service and that all the characters have guns. So I don't think I don't develop video games, but I ha- find it hard to believe that you could change Killer Shark from a guy with a gun to a brawler. Right? I highly doubt you could do that, which means I highly doubt you could do all the characters in six months. Just like you also couldn't strip out the live service stuff and put a coherent linear game story in there. So inherently, there's nothing else they could do. So I'd almost say just just release the, that damn thing. Yeah. My assumption here, because I agree, there's no way it's going to be that foundationally changing. My assumption is, is that they're going to take this to try and rebalance the game to where all the live service actions that are, were in there, all the those uh, elements are still there but they're so toned down and they're so balanced in such a way that they almost you almost don't have to interact with them in the way you would in a normal live service game and they're going to try and be like oh see like we listened and we were able to change it and this is just the way the game goes and part of the reason I say that is you still haven't gotten around to playing Gotham Knights despite telling me to buy it <laughs> if I'm not mistaken <laughs> I played it for a good amount of time okay so like 3 4 hours good that, good. That means that you probably see what I'm talking about then, where that game looks like it was at one point in time live service, and then they decided to try and cut it and minimize its presence in the game, but you still see these little vestigial parts of that being at the core of the initial design. And I think the same thing is going to be true here. You can only try and minimize it, but it will never be like it wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. So... I'm kind of like you. If you really can't actively change it, why not just stick to your guns and be like, we're releasing the game as is and just hope for, that you get a Destiny kind of life cycle where the game comes out and maybe it's a little rough at the start, but you're able to update it and work on it and put a DLC out that just really kills. But that also depends on if they want the game to be that. Maybe they wanted the game to have these live service elements, but be more of a hybrid where at the end of the day, it is just a kill the Justice League game, and once they're done, they're done. And they wanted it to have an end date. The thing about a game like Destiny is that it's kind of a game that just seems like it's intended to go on for as long as people are willing to keep playing it. And while all games are kind of that, this game doesn't strike me as a game that's trying to come out and then three months down the road be like, here's the first, or even six months down the road, hey, here's the first expansion that's going to make drastic changes to how the game works and introduce new combat. And four years from now, you're going to be Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, <laughs> uh, Darkfall. And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's where we're going. Constantine walks in. He's just like, oh. Brainiac is somehow still the bad guy four years later. <laughs> It'd have to be just Galactus. Yeah, that would actually probably be it. No, yeah, they no, that's Marvel. But they could do cool shit. I just don't believe they will, sadly. Yeah. Darkseid has eaten Superman and now he's the villain. <laughs> he's already the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm at this point, I don't even know if I really want to, like a part of me respects if that is the reason, part of me respects that they're trying. But short of a reboot, it just feels like you're going to end up with a game that does. it feels like it doesn't have its foot firmly in either door. And I think I could, I think at the end of the day at release, I'm going to respect a game that even if it's got elements that I don't really care for, but it, it at least is like we know what we are. 
Yeah, I can respect that a little bit more than a game that's like, well, we knew what we were, but then we decided to kind of back out and and just we didn't want to shut the door, so we're just kind of one foot in the door, one foot out the door. Yeah, I would rather they just go. This is what we're doing, and we're not changing it for you. And then even if it's bad, I would at least just respect it. Do you you know what I think is really happening here though? We've heard years of Rocksteady going through game after game. At one point, they had that Batman Beyond game that they were apparently working on and prototyping out. At one point in time, they were apparently prototyping a Superman game out. And none of them really got picked up off the ground, and then this did. I think the problem is they spent so many years trying to figure out what their next project is, and the goodwill and all the money that they got from the Batman games kind of gave them that leverage. But now that it's been so long since they've released a game, I think that we're nearing on the fact that if you really think about it, outside of Batman VR, if if Suicide Squad pushes to next year, that's nine years since their last actual game, like full-fledged game. Yeah. <laughs> and at, it's kind of like what's happening with Ken Levine, where it doesn't matter how beloved you are as a creator or a studio. Eventually, someone's going to be like, you can't have that much more time. So at most you can do is we can try and give you more time to salvage the game you're on, but there's no way we're going to let you just reboot Suicide Squad one more time because yeah. we can't afford it. So <clears throat> definitely know. doesn't help that they're part of uh, WB when WB is like in the chopping block right now. Like they're just trying to cut any kind of fat. <laughs> yeah, We'll see. I-, I hope the game is good. I don't believe in the game. Same. <laughs> All right, well, changing gears, um, in an exciting interview published on Square Enix's YouTube channel, Koichiro Sakamoto, producer of 2022's Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers Edition, revealed that the game came to be when he had concerns that it may become unplayable soon. He cited PS3 becoming less prevalent as one of the major concerns as the game was preserved through the PS1's Classics Library, or the PS1 Classics Library as part of PS3. Uh, Most interestingly, perhaps, is the revelation that the game took around a decade to make in some capacity as the PS4 was released in 2013, and of course, its prevalence would have started waning around that 2000, you know, 14, 15 thing. But realistically, I'm kind of looking at that and thinking this is probably more like within seven years, but still interesting to see. Still so, a long ass time for a remaster. <laughs> yeah, but you know, work. you wonder, <laughs> right, right out of the gate. Uh, but you know, with. Not looking at necessarily the quality of the end product, because we know that game had issues. But there definitely does appear to be some level of preservationist ideology happening at Square for some of their legacy IP and some of their most prevalent. Because you think about Final Fantasy Pixel Collection, and they've remastered almost every one of those Final Fantasy games multiple times. And this is the first time where they've been like, all right, people have had issues with the other ones. We made too big of changes and trying to bring them forward. Now we're just going to go back through and make a cleaned up looking version of what the original was for the most part. And people seem to be really receiving that well. And that seemed to be the idea behind Chrono Cross. Is this something that you, as someone who's not got quite as storied of a history with Square Enix, is excited for? Um, I mean, I think it's a great thing because I think people like me 
are very intrigued by the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters. And I was very intrigued by the Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers edition until I bought it and it played like garbage and I never played it again. Um, so this stuff is good because it's stuff for people like me who don't, don't have the legacy with PlayStation that a lot of others do. It's it's great. Like, yeah, put these out there. Let me play Final Fantasy 1. Let me play Final Fantasy 6. Let me play Where's Chrono Trigger? Like, this kind of stuff is, I think, really cool. Maybe, and hopefully, the rest of the industry starts following suit. How about Sony? Let me have a remaster of Legends of Dragoon. That tells me where to go. Mm. <laughs> a little bit. Like, <laughs> slightly more than not at all. <laughs> yeah, that game doesn't hold your hand very much. No, but I did just beat Gestalt and his dragon, I think. My guy, okay. Yeah. You're making a little bit of progress. I did, yeah. I like the story. Translation is really great, too. Yeah. I would really like to see that game get given modern treatment. But I feel point. Where I'm at? so curious to know how that game would end up working. Like, what would they do with combat? Would Sony be like, well, we'll do it, but we're going to make sure that we do it with, you know, action RPG style combat because that's easier to sell and market than turn based is in this modern setup. And then would people who are purists of the original be too upset about that? And I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it would go, but I would be very interested to at least see it. Yeah. In whatever way they, they choose to do so. Blue point. Listen, take a break from Bloodborne 2 and remaster Legends of Dragoon. Then go back to Bloodborne 2. Because people are not desperate enough yet for Bloodborne, if you hadn't heard. We're, we're, still, we're still in the gestation period of excitement. I think you can give it like five to six more years before people start really freaking out. Um, so Legends of Dragoon Remaster, give it the Demon Souls treatment. And then when people really start getting excited for Bloodborne and really wanting it to come back in a playable way, do it then. <laughs> that was totally accurate to the truth, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about, yeah, I think people have been hungry for some form of of <laughs> Legend of Dragoon remaster or remake for, for just as long, a lot longer than Bloodborne. There you so, go. So screw Bloodborne. You don't need it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a pretty solid group of people where the moment they saw that uh, PlayStation Three Final Fantasy VII tech demo, they were like. <gasps> Do that to Legend of Dragoon. <laughs> I guarantee you it exists, and there will be people who have, I've been waiting since 2005. I still think <laughs> Sony's the funniest troll Sony has ever done was that when they showed, do you remember the trailer for GT7 that started like Bloodborne? <laughs> Where it started on the moon and it was that creepy music and then it comes down and it's a fucking racetrack. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. I was like, you guys did that shit on purpose. Yeah, they knew what they were doing because I remember thinking that too. Like, what the hell is this? But hey, you know what? Why not have a little bit of fun with it? All right, moving along by staying on Square Enix. While Forspoken seemed clear to face some sales performance issues, Square Enix have confirmed that the title had, quote, lackluster sales. Uh, but more surprisingly, many of their smaller to mid-sized titles that they've released in the past year have also seemingly underperformed. While this doesn't seem indicative of Square having any kind of severe financial issues, this does seem to see them doubting their targeted year-on-year financial growth, which is really important for companies, and is likely the reasoning behind the shakeup of the president role that we discussed in last week's podcast. Um, 
it's been interesting seeing all this because all of that's true. And then we also got uh, a teaser for that symbi- symbiogenesis. What was it? Is that what it was called? Symbiogenesis? Square Enix. Yeah, I think that's it. We got word of their first NFT blockchain style game um, where they <laughs> they teased symbo- sym- symbiogenesis and it's going to have 10,000 unique NFT characters with unique oh, designs. No. So what does that mean? So after 10,000 of those are gone, then I get to play only boring soldier guy. That's just a bad game design. Are there like not NFT skins? Like, is that <laughs> a thing? I know that you, we don't know. Is, they haven't said much, but Jesus. Yeah, they teased it. And the video is so like you, you, you don't even know how to like figure out what it's trying to be. Um, so Square's in a really interesting place. I've seen a lot of people because of this incessant rumor that will not stop because this one person who I can tell you forever is known for being um, a liar, I would say, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Uh, but this one Twitter guy who likes to be one of those, oh, I'm an insider, but he just throws enough shit at the wall that occasionally one thing sticks. Oh, And he's like, but look, that stuck. It's like, yeah, but what about the 92 other things that you also deleted tweets on because you didn't want anybody to be able to check you? Is that our, <laughs> our big homie Lumberjack Rye? <laughs> that is exactly who that is. Uh, so so he was two. the source behind the big take two buying thing <laughs> to the point that it got all the way up to Jason Schreier commenting on it. Really? Uh, yeah. And sharing other tweets that the same account put out. So with that, a bunch of other stuff has happened, right? People are talking about it, it, it genuinely ends up starting the conversation of who do you want to see Sony buy and who seems reasonable. And definitely when you look at it as people thinking that Sony has to respond to Activision Blizzard being bought, and maybe Sony does. I don't know the answer to that. But a lot of talks have come out. So people have been kind of flirting with the idea of Sony maybe buying out Square Enix. And I saw a lot of sentiment this week, at least on Twitter, um, you know, the oddly not necessarily accurate excuse me, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> accurate to anything, uh, gaming sphere on there. And <clears throat> I saw people saying like, oh, good, Sony could, uh, it'll be easier for Sony to scoop them up now and like rescue them and give them money for good projects in response to Square Enix. Uh, also saw some people bringing back the Sony buying CD Project Red, also because of something that Lumberjack Rye said. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, I don't really know why we're there, but I wouldn't be holding your breath for Square to be bought by anyone yet. Doesn't mean it won't happen. There's just really no way to tell. But, you know, people were talking about them selling off the Western studios to try and trim the fat so that Sony could buy them. I don't know that I believe that either. You know, I still don't get that logic. Me either. If anything, Sony would probably want Western Studios. Not for nothing. <laughs> ima- Definitely so you- for three million dollars. <laughs> three hundred million, yes, but three hundred million. Sorry, just, just. <laughs> I, I would imagine Sony would have bought Crystal Dynamics just for like, hey, you're not, you are not working on Perfect Dark anymore, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's one thing I think is interesting. I think that we as people who interact and, and are fans of systems, like we, we, me and you talk about the fact that I think me and you are healthy fanboys. Yeah. We we clearly have a preference, that being PlayStation. Correct. Um, 
But I don't think that that ever goes to a point where like I don't talk badly about Xbox unless I genuinely think something they're doing is like eh to me. Like I, that doesn't help my interest in their system. Same for Nintendo. And when they do appeal to me, I make sure that they know it. Sea of Thieves, awesome game. Halo Infinite, awesome game. I don't really have much. You know, it's like when when Microsoft does well, I'm cool. I'll, I'll give them all the all the dap they need. Um, but where was I going with this? I guess what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> I don't think I think we end up as a whole, like you know, the people who are more gaming enthusiasts. I think we project that kind of shit. Definitely bigger fanboy people <laughs> onto companies like Sony and Microsoft to a much higher degree than I think it really exists. I don't think Sony I, gives a shit. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I don't think I'm not saying it doesn't exist at all because clearly what's going on with all the Activision Blizzard stuff. Yeah. Okay is showing that Sony, if they feel a need, will start getting down into the ditches and kneeing <laughs> and elbowing whoever they can. Jim, I don't actually want to want a Call of Duty deal. I want to block your merger. Ryan would disagree with you. Also, I actually super respect that that's just how he came out about it because that 100%. is clearly what's happening. Yeah. That is what, even if they're saying that the big reason is because that they're worried about Call of Duty and its impact as something that's bigger than gaming itself in many ways, at the end of the day, he's saying like, it doesn't, and I've said this since day one, I don't think that there is a deal that Microsoft no. could offer them. The whole goal for Sony is just to block it. So why not? I know? still think the funniest thing that could happen, because if I, I, I stopped putting this in the news because it's, it's fucking tiresome, but if if you read about a little bit more of the stuff that's come out recently where there, I guess Sony would be okay if Call of Duty got split off and became its own private entity. And then um, on a different podcast, they were talking about how Sony could invest in that company. And the funniest way this could go and the biggest win for Jim is to get Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft to have to split off com- Call of Duty into its own company just for Sony to buy that company and own Call of Duty. <laughs> That would be genuinely the funniest thing that could happen in this industry. No way in hell would it happen, though. No. If 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 Call of Duty is the reason that this that this merger is not going through, otherwise, there's no way that it would go through. And then so, and then they'd be like, "Yeah, Sony, you can buy." You can well, just see, buy Call of Duty. you say this not right. You say, but Sony's kind of this is a weird tangent. This isn't going to happen. But Sony's kind of set the groundwork by and baited Microsoft into going. Call of Duty is not that important to us. So now, if that were to happen and Sony does buy it, Sony has uh, two years of Microsoft saying, Call of Duty is not that good. We don't need it. Uh, to be like, they don't care. So we're going to buy it. <laughs> we're going to take it off Xbox. <laughs> they don't want it. <laughs> it's really like the ultimate chess play at this point. They, they said they didn't want it and it wasn't that important. So we're taking it and they don't want it. Who cares? Well, speaking and and kind of turning the conversation back around towards Square Enix, uh, we got a question that I think is pretty interesting. So we're talking about Forspoken and all these new games that seem to be underperforming. And yet the one thing that has consistently been fairly true for Square is that Final Fantasy has been a pretty strong IP that has almost always done well. And so Jehudi MD, one of our patrons, he comes in with a question. He says, do you think game series would last longer when developers consider doing it the Final Fantasy way? 
Separate stories, but keeping things for fans of the series. Good for developers to explore new venues slash genres for games. Or would you consider sticking to a single storytelling method as well as gameplay and genre a la God of War, Halo, etc.? So he's basically saying, look at some of the oldest franchises that are still running today outside of Final Fantasy, like God of War and Halo. Uh, and I guess a good example for his thing of uh, storytelling method and gameplay, a Japanese example that is also good is like Dragon Quest. Um, the Dragon Quest series hasn't largely changed a ton. Nope. So with all that in mind, do you think more series would be healthier for longer periods of time and not eventually get that franchise fatigue if they found a way to Final Fantasy it up? Um, yes and no, because anthologies... The thing... I, it's a hard question because I, I kind of think the thing with anthologies is while they're all separate stories, they're all still kind of related. You know, like Cloverfield is a, is a series of anthologies, but they all feed into the Cloverfield monster, right? Just as VHS is all anthologies, but it all has a, a connective tissue. Same with Final Fantasy. So I think you still have to build it in a, in a way that they can all connect, or at least tangentially. Um, even if it's just fucking the Chocobos are all the same or whatever, you know? Sure. But, Moogles tend to be the the common point. Moogles, Chocobo, right. and uh, the, the summons, the drippy drippy boys, or whatever they are in Dragon Quest. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about the, slimes. the drippy boys, slimes, slimes. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the, the drippy boys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's just a matter of like I would prefer I prefer a long a long story. Right. I'm reading One Piece, so that's all I really need to say about clearly. that. clearly. <laughs> I like yep. one long arc. Like the tale series is perfect. The way they tell their story. Perfect. That's 20 year story. That's incredible stuff. See, I view God of War as kind of the perfect medium. And I know he mentions it as a franchise, but I actually think it may be the perfect thing to show that eventually series do need to evolve considerably and do something that acts as a way to for new people to jump in without the weight of the old things being necessary, but still being supplementary if you actually do have that experience. And the reason I say that is because God of War Ascension is just more God of War in that same genre and that same style with the same storytelling and all that. But the only way that God of War really found a second lease at life in a meaningful way that has gone on to be essentially more successful, it seems, than even the original run of God of War games was to drastically change up the character interactions, separate yourselves almost entirely from what the branding of the character was before and all these Greek trappings and all these Greek characters and this Greek god pantheon and move it to a very different world and different view with new characters that did not play into that. And there is weight of those previous things, but you don't have to have played those games to still enjoy and get something very personal out of those games with Ragnarok. And they significantly changed the style of game, even if it's still in a way a hack and slash. It's not, it's more like a, you know, action game more akin to something like a Devil May. I don't even want to say Devil May Cry because it's really not accurate. I guess it's more like a Dark Souls action style game where it's like you're going to 
do all your attacks from this over-the-shoulder kind of camera angle. But what I'm getting at is God of War was almost undoubtedly going to die as an IP had it not been for a severe shakeup. Yeah. That, and I, I think that with. that's true of a lot of I think a lot of IP that we beloved that we are that we're beloved to that is not really actively getting made today comes from the fact that it didn't do that. It tried to lock into being the same thing and trying to just ever so slightly change. And Final Fantasy has been very smart that they can go from Final Fantasy being turn-based to active time battle based to faux turn based to completely online MMO to completely live action, like, you know, real time, uh, not live action, but real time combat and anything in between. They've been a fucking first person shooter or a third person shooter. Rather, you can do almost anything with Final Fantasy and it's kind of expected. And so I do think that that's pretty smart. And I think that while not every game needs it, I think that there's a really good common ground that you can mix between. I think that there's a way to you love Mass Effect, right? I, I think do. that there's a way to let Mass Effect be both. I think there's a way to let Mass Effect be a continuing story, Mass Effect one, two, three. And then as long as you hit the right quality level, then you can come with a a new franchise, new series set within a similar world with similar trappings, but things are just ever so different. And then you can have Andromeda and Andromeda 2 and Andromeda 3. And you can have a story that continues across multiple games with new characters and new worlds and slightly different gameplay aspects. So, yeah, I think more series would be more more dominantly active and I think we're going to see that now. I think since Mass Effect has been gone since what? When, when was Andromeda? 16, 17? I think so. 16, I would think. All right. And then when was the last time that we got Dragon Age? Inquisition? Uh, 2015? 14? It was, it was a cross yeah, game, so I think it was like 14. All right. It was so a long game, we I don't, think. Yeah, if we don't get the next Dragon Age game until 2024, which is seeming pretty likely, it's been 10 years. And I am going to have a pretty strong sense that Dragon Age is probably going to change considerably as a means of having been away that long. So we're going to get the same effect, but instead of it being consistent throughout years and years and years of having new game, new game, new game, games are going to have to, IP will have to rest and then return in a slightly evolved or new way because it gets rebooted or whatever. And then it will be fulfilling that kind of Final Fantasyization effect that we're talking about here. Because I've been meaning to ask you: Do you think that the new? I, th- I think you probably do. Do you think the new Mass Effect game is intended to be a continuation, specifically of Mass Effect Three? Yeah, Liara is in the trailer. That's what I was about to say. I know that there are characters from the original games in the trailer, or at least you know, like they've had those voice files and whatnot. Yeah, there's been also a lot of. Uh... I don't know if speculation or rumors or fan theories is that Shepard's in that trailer somewhere. Like they're going to get mm. Shepard in the trailer or something along those lines. So, so you're a much bigger, bigger Mass Effect fan than I am. Do you think that's the right move? It's a weird question, right? Because I don't think Andromeda was very good. And Andromeda might have been better if it was a Mass Effect game. But I would rather they just leave Shepard alone. Yeah. Shepard had his story. He did his thing. 
He's the he's already basically a superhero. Like let him chill. Or at least let him be like Oh, we're we're going to meet. You know, did you remember Modern Warfare 2, the original one? Mm-hmm. What I would like for Shepard is do you remember the scene that is basically the that is basically the movie Heat? Or I'm sorry, The Rock. Basically the movie The Rock where you're going through and you're in the tunnels. You're you're when you go into the prison. Okay. You yes. go into the prison to rescue um what is it prisoner prisoner 4 or something like that and then you break in there and it's price. Mhm. That's that's what Shepard should be. Shepard should be this like old decrepit guy that you go to find to get some advice or he joins your squad like that would be the coolest thing. What if Shepard joins you on this new mission? And he's just a party member. I would much prefer that than, oh, guess what? Mass Effect 4, you're playing as Shepard again. I don't think I've ever heard of this movie until today. But thank you. It's a, it's a Nicolas Cage film. So yeah, I mean, I'm, good. I'm all in. I think they're breaking out of uh, Azkaban or something. Azkaban. Holy shit. <laughs> 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 I meant Alcatraz. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, you should watch it. Let us know in the Discord how you feel. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, okay. I see where you're coming from, but I, I do think that that's kind of what you're getting with like Kratos and these moments with like Athena and whatnot uh, in that yeah, first 2018 kind of. where it's like it's it's homage to people who do know, but if you don't know, the story gives you enough um, context to be able to know that it's weight in the story. But I'll be curious to see. I mean, BioWare's in a weird spot, so we'll see if they can pull this off or not. Uh, but continuing on with the news, we got a few more here. An early reveal for one of PS Plus April games has come to light. In the newest trailer for Meet Your Maker, it's a multiplayer first-person shooter that allows you to attack others' bases while crafting and building your own. The game releases next month and is a day one PS Plus title. We're getting more of those because it's also true of uh, that Chia game for this month. When does that come out? Because I've been looking for it on the store every Tuesday and I haven't seen it. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So So, March Essentials, I think. And then those haven't come up yet. Yeah. They're typically later in the month. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of where it's coming down. It'll be like somewhere in the, you know, around the 20th or something like that. March 21st is the release date. So I would imagine that day. There you go. Trophy challenge. That's the next game. Chia, that's right. I'm Chia. excited for that game. I'm curious to see if it actually lands with me because I think the trailers look cute and mm-hmm. there's a lot of fun stuff within that. But I don't know. I'm I'm curious if the breath of the wildness of it all is gonna click with me or not. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm excited to try. Mm, we'll see. All right, next up, despite being just over a month out up until today, Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores, the PS5 exclusive DLC, has been mostly or almost entirely radio silent since its initial reveal. Uh, Today's interview that they put out on the PS blog may have shed some light on the uh, project, and while this seems to be the start of its launch marketing campaign that will probably be happening throughout the next month, we still have yet to see another trailer for the game uh, or be given any confirmed price for the content 
And this just seems really weird. And I've been trying to understand what might be happening here. Is it because Sony's trying to allow PSVR 2 to mostly breathe? Is this happening because they're trying to let some of their third-party deals with like Resident Evil 4 remake breathe and, and get its chance to shine before they start doing... Uh, you know, trying to pump this out. Do they anticipate that this isn't going to do as well because they made it PS5 exclusive, or do they think it'll do better because they made it PS5 exclusive? So, Chris, as someone who didn't really finish the original game and kind of has your own mixed feelings on what that game offered and why it didn't necessarily continue to pull you in, Mm -hmm. do you have any insight as to why you personally think that this is going and why Sony might be being kind of quiet on it? Or do you think it's just crowded release schedule and eventually it'll get its time, but everything else has to have its chance to breathe? I think this is just a personal thing. I think DLC needs less lead time than a full $60 box product. Um, I, I think that's fair. I think DLC, DLC reminds me of like the candy at the register, you know, where you go to buy Horizon or you pop in Horizon and you're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to play. And then you're like, you know what? There's some Reese's there for like 20 bucks. And this Reese's would be really good with all these groceries I already have. So I guess I'll just buy the Reese's. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I feel like DLC is just like a, oh shit, that's out. You know, that's why with me, because I'm an idiot and compulsive, if you give me something that looks even kind of cool and you're like, it's out right now, I probably already bought it. So (laughs) I feel like that's the same thing with DLC where it doesn't need to be talked about that much. Because it's probably going to be not that long, so you don't want to spoil anything in the story or the gameplay. And then, again, it's just a matter of like, oh, yeah, I'll pick that up. It's out? Cool, let me grab it. I don't think you need to be like, oh, Horizon Forbidden West is coming in two years. You don't need that with the DLC, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't, I mean, I think DLC does get a better treatment of being announced and talked about way closer to uh, release. And I do think that's a better way to do it. But at the same time, considering all the stuff that we're hearing, and maybe this is just because we're that, we're a podcast and we see this stuff and we were talking about it, feeling like there's so much Horizon stuff, it feels weird for one of the Horizon things, one of the Horizon pieces of content to not really be getting pushed in any big way even when we're just right under release. And you might be right. It may just be that they're relying on impulse buys. This is something that people who already own the PS5 version or the the game in general are going to be looking at and going, oh, here's something that is impulse buy territory. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be in that $24.99 to $29.99 price range. So I can see that. But I think this next piece of news might be part of it. And this is kind of where I've landed on. So Sony's new president and COO seems to believe that PSVR 2 is set to have a, quote, good chance at outselling the PSVR 1's 5 million lifetime sales, despite a higher price tag, um, stating, quote, we are very happy to launch PSVR 2 on PS5. With the first PSVR, we sold around 5 million units, and I think we have a good chance to exceed that amount with PSVR 2. If you look at the VR market overall, people are discussing a 30% CAGR, which is compound annual growth rate, for the first half of this decade. So they're saying in a five-year period, 
of this year of this decade. So we're already in that. We're talking about a 30% growth rate. And so what and what they're kind of looking at is saying that the numbers are looking good, the market's still nascent, but it's growing a lot, having pretty big growth pretty quickly. And so I really think what's happening here is despite the fact that I don't think Sony marketed this as much as I would have liked, I think that their way to kind of balance cost of marketing versus effectiveness, I think they're trying to be quiet about everything and let PlayStation fans who are buying PSVR 2, I, I think all the money went towards games. Because I will tell you, there's a ton of PSVR 2 games. There is a ton. And there are more being announced and more releasing Um and while none of them may necessarily be directly from Sony, they clearly got deals from Sony to make sure that Sony had a big launch with a lot of games that have not been available on PSVR at all in the past uh, due to a number of reasons or are very, very improved versions or outright brand new games uh, that we've never seen. <clears throat> so I think that what's really happening is Sony's letting word of mouth be their marketing tactic for PSVR 2. And that's all they're doing. And it kind of makes sense because word of mouth is cheap and we've seen it be very effective. Word of mouth is how a game like Stardew Valley can go on to be multiple million sold. You mm-hmm. know? Because it's fucking incredible. You know, of course, it's a great <laughs> game, but it's yeah. also a, it's also it's a, a word game of mouth that, thing. Th- th- yeah, they did not market that game. Yeah. Why would you? And yet that game has gone on to be one of the biggest indie games of all time. They didn't market Minecraft. No, they did not. And they let word of mouth go for Minecraft. And I think what they're seeing is that when you're dealing with niche things like this, you can let word of mouth really tell you how well your product your product's going to do. So I think A, it's cheaper. B, it's been shown to be effective. And C, based off of how well the thing does just off of word of mouth, they know how much to proportionately give to marketing budget in the future to actually push this out. And they'll probably learn a better way to market VR. Cause I think that's another thing. VR is incredibly hard to market. And pretty much the only reason most people are going to buy anything VR related is because they're going to look and go, I couldn't get a feel for what that game was or whenever I was seeing the state of play on it, you're going to have to have a friend go, dude, I was playing Pavlov and this and this happened and this was happening and this is why it's crazy and fun and good. All stuff that's too complicated to put in a 30 second, 45 second, one minute Mm -hmm. ad that adequately shows everything. So I think that they're going to start doing that and they have some of these third party deals and they're just giving everything. They're just saying, we're going to duck down. We've done our state of play. Our state of play did its job. We've fulfilled our obligations to third party stuff. We're just going to let PSVR 2 kind of have a a month. And if you think about it, what have you really, truly heard from Sony in the last month? Nothing. Outside of that place, outside of that state of play. So... We'll see if that ends up being the case uh, and whether or not they keep doing this. What do you think would be the next PlayStation game that really has a DLC like that? Because I was thinking about it. I don't know if I can really think of another PlayStation game besides The Last of Us with Left Behind and then Horizon with the Forbidden uh, or Frozen Wilds and now Burning Shores. What other PlayStation games have gotten like meaty new location multiple hour dlcs that were first party um infamous two and three infamous did get them and they were they were uh, one of them was standalone which is pretty interesting both of them are standalone 
And Ghost, got it. Ghosts, well, yes. Oh, okay, you're right. Ghosts. They did make Festival of Blood standalone. Great game, yeah, by the way. It is. It is a great yeah, game. Super fun. Yeah, uh, first Ghost light. got sushi. Uh, the Ghost of Shima got the. Um, what was it? What was Isle? <laughs> I can't even think of the name. Uh, of it. Ishi Island, Iki Island. Yeah, Iki Island. That was it. Yeah. So maybe it's not as unheard of. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't think it's something that Sony tends to do, but I guess when it makes sense, they just go ahead and let it happen. Which kind of goes through Sony's general thing. It seems like they never commit to a solid style of marketing. Like Sony's like, yeah, we're going to have some multi, you know, some microtransaction-based games and some not. Yeah. Um, I would have thought Days Gone would have been a obvious choice for DLC, and then that that just didn't happen. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think there's an argument for Miles Morales. <laughs> That's fair. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be able to tell if I guess technically gets standalone DLC. I guess we're, technically, if you want to look at that, you can also say that Lost Legacy is Uncharted's DLC. I mean, that's actually like I would argue that's also true. Yeah. Well, it, it started out as DLC, and they were like, yeah, this is way bigger than DLC is reasonable to be yeah. for this type of game, so we're just going to make it a game, which checks out. Yeah. So Sony's done a little bit more than I've uh, than I've really thought of. And then in, they happen to make the best Uncharted game with Lost Legacy. Yeah, gameplay-wise, that game is uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily my favorite story from them, oh, but it's my favorite to play. It's so fun. I'll give you a controversial take. Mm. My favorite Uncharted characters in the lead roles. <laughs> oh, you like Nadine a lot? I like Nadine. I like she Chloe never and Nadine like... way more than I've ever liked Drake and, El- and any of them, personally. Really? That's yeah. I, I love Chloe. I've loved Chloe since the first time they showed her. She's yeah. a great character. She's super fun. She's spunky. And I like that that game kind of gave her a little bit more depth. That I wouldn't say she was missing, but mm-hmm. the game's never spent time keying in on because it wasn't <clears throat> necessary. It was about Drake's journey for the it, most part. So I guess in a weird way, it kind of feels like... like I know you're not a big MCU guy, but the Uncharted series feels like the, the 1, 2, and 3 were like... Captain America, First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. And then that the Lost Legacy was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> and I think the characters... So I guess where I'm going with that metaphor is I liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier more than I liked any Captain America movies because it felt like stepping away from the big hero and seeing what the other guys around him are doing. And mm-hmm. that's why Which I like has a lot it. of value. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that stuff is cool. Like I love stories where it's like, like I've always wanted an episode of the flash where it's just one random guy. Uh, it's about one random guy. And every time he wakes up, his life has changed because the flash is being an asshole in the timeline. Like I think an episode like that would be hilarious. So that's part of why I really love uh lost legacy. Just something yeah. different. No, I feel I do like that. And, you know, uh, Nadine is fine in Uncharted 4. I don't think she's strongly one way or the other. I actually love Rafe. He's a, she I think is he's a great fine player. in Uncharted 4. Uh, <laughs> but um, Lost <clears throat> Legacy made me like her a lot more. I was like, okay, now you have a real character. She's kind of just like this person who her whole role in Uncharted 4 is she got kind of used. And yeah. that's basically it. So giving her more personality and character outside of just feeling 
kind of stubborn and dumb for allowing herself to get in that position where Rafe used her, which is fine within the context of Uncharted 4 story, you know? But still, uh, yeah, Lost Legacy is a great game. But that leads us to the end of this episode, Chris, where we are going to wrap up with one last question that we could not necessarily work into any reasonable spot. And that's one of those fun, out there, Velvet Thunder questions. So Hold on, can I petition... Can you do me a favor, right? I think this will be really appreciated by Velvet. Um, I want you to make, like, record your voice going, The Velvet Corner. And then you do some, like, thunder and lightning right before this happens every episode. (laughs) And then as long as he continues with the weird, dumb, the weird, crazy questions, I'm in for it. Velvet Corner. All right, read the question. Honestly, what would be funnier is if you just cut out that clip and used it in every episode. <laughs> I may just I may just do that. Save that as an audio file that I have muted underneath that I can drag anywhere in the episode. I've got you saying "kachow" now too. I could just be adding that as ad lib any, anywhere that I choose. <laughs> kachow. <laughs> I've got me saying it now, too, but it'd be oh, more funny to piss you off by just not even letting you know where it's happening. Do you, you decide remember? to listen to the episode while you're working and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Do you remember that one episode where we found the soundboard <laughs> on Zencaster? Where it was just like random music and applause and shit that you should just make a soundboard with me saying "kachow" in the velvet corner. I can definitely put that into the actual audio of the show. Why not at this point? We can (laughs) have a good time with it. But that question in the velvet corner. (laughs) 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 Ka-chow. Chris. Brett. If we were kidnapped and told the only way we can live is by eating a first party controller, which would it be and why? But the kidnappers are Zoomers. So they only have consoles from PS3 Gen onwards. Joy-Cons are also off the table because it's too easy. So with that in mind, you have the DualShock 3. I guess Mm -hmm. technically you even can go back as far as just having the 6-axis. The DualShock 3, the Xbox 360 controller, the Xbox One controller, the DualShock 4, the DualSense, the Xbox Series X controller, the Switch Pro controller, the Wii Nunchuck. <laughs> no, yeah, the Wii I'm, I'm making an executive decision. If Joy-Cons are banned, the Wii controllers are banned. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's the I answer. don't think that you realize how much fatter the Wiimote is. Because I'll tell you what my answer is right now. Okay, it, He said PS3 Gen and onwards. I don't know if you remember how light I still have mine because you know my, the launch model PlayStation. Excuse me, I launch do, model yeah. PlayStation Three did not have DualShock. No, due sucks. to a lawsuit that was going on. So those controllers were just six axis, and they were super light. You could hold them up to the light and literally see through them. <laughs> yeah, there's almost nothing inside them besides a PC PCB board, some buttons, and like a gyroscope. That's it. It weighs nothing. That would be the controller I would eat. It'd be the easiest to cut up, easiest to break, has the less density. You wouldn't get full of crazy stuff. You'd probably have the less, com- the least amount of components in it that would be likely to physically harm you. Mm-hmm. So can I eat this in any way I choose? You know, I assume. The only question I really have here is, 
are we eating the like are we swallowing it in whole i don't think so but by saying eating a first party controller are we talking like battery and all because like a battery will kill you you might as well just die stay kidnapped um (laughs) i guess so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna take a 360 controller i'm gonna take it apart okay i'm gonna dice up the buttons maybe do a nice uh julienne with the the d-pad you know get me some nice little strips right then i'm gonna take a pot of water get my, my nice little herb bag Throw that in there. I'm going to throw the skin, throw the little bit of insides. I'm going to make a broth. I'm going to make a 360 mm. broth, right? I'm going to toss in my my buttons and my Julienne D-pad. Um, <clears throat> Is your idea just to soften them as much as possible? Oh, yeah. I'm making a soup. Mm. Making 360 noodle soup, baby boy. <laughs> smart. Yeah. Then I'm just going to drink that <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> Easy money. You know, I got to give you credit. A much easier way you could also go about this, right? Mm, the shake. Part of me part of me thought you were going to be doing this. I thought that you chose a 360 controller because the one thing I remember vividly from being a GameStop employee during the PS3 mm-hmm. 360 era is that the white 360 controllers almost always came in looking like people had just constantly eaten yeah. and not wash their hands That's, and gotten food dust all over their controllers. Part of so what I'm thinking, right? Really, if you just if you just bake a 360s outside thing and crack it up like chips, you've already got chip seasoning on it. All the Cheeto dust and dried Mountain Dew flakes are just there. All the insides have, are like the tops of nachos or whatever. <laughs> you just sprinkle them on. A 360 controller, uh, nachos. That's the new special that we serve in the velvet room. (laughs) (laughs) The velvet room. Do we have a triangle squared strip club? That sounds like the VIP room that you go into with them, you know? Come back back to the velvet room. Tell that to Atlas. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think I would go 360 soup. Um, 360 soup is smart. It would be the hardiest meal, too. I imagine if I'm kidnapped, I'm a little hungry, right? I need my calories. And then you make the, uh, you make a good point is that if I get one of the crusty ass ones, this is a zoomer, right? So they don't know how to wash their hands or do a solid day's work. So no, so I think it'll be encrusted with some natural seasonings. Obviously, I got my herb bag. Salty from all the sweat. 100%, right? It's got the natural salt. And then, I mean, that is your broth. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that just makes your broth right there. Exactly. I mean, worst case scenario, I can crush up the outside of the controller really fine and put some eggs in there and use it to make some pasta. And I could just make a lasagna. There are tons of See, I now, hold on. We got to get, get a little different here. If we can mix it into other things, this conversation changes entirely. If we can start putting real food into it, like I'm with you on soup. If all you're doing is taking the parts of the controller and just making soup and softening it all up, but it's yeah. just water and controller parts, I got you. I think that definitely qualifies. All right, then then we'll we'll simplify it and we'll just say I break open the batteries and use the acid as my binding agent for the spaghetti. There you go. Yeah. What, what are the noodles? Well, I would. I'm saying I would take the skin, the like the outside of the controller, like like this part, right? All of the as white so- and, and get it as and soft as you can, and then no, I would just it. 
I would just blend it and blend it until it's a fine powder, like a flour. That's how you make you make pasta, right? Take your flour, put a little hole and in the, the center. And the acid would act as your egg? Right. The acid is the egg. So then I just make it and then I flatten it out. I make make some some stuff. And then I put the insides of the controller, all my buttons all cut up and diced and all that shit, right inside. Close it up. Maybe make a calzone. Okay. I got I got ways to we got ways we could do this. Sucks do you, for you think that you can do you think that you could make something that looked appetizing? Oh, I think so, absolutely. Your years think, of experience as a chef? I think if he gave me like if the kidnapper gave me like a little bit of butter, that's all I would need. Just a nice little nice little spread on the top, a little butter over my uh contrasta. <laughs> ba- basically you just want garnish. Like you just <laughs> Yeah. I'm like I'm not asking you to let me like stuff it into a turkey. I'm just saying like let me get a little bit of accoutrement with my yeah, with my you. dinner. It's like you may be having to eat a controller, but you can at least dress it up. Like you know, yeah. plating is everything in food. I am right? not a monster. Give me some <laughs> parsley to put on the top, please. I <laughs> I am a classically trained line cook, and I want my controller classically trained line cook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went to man. I went to Lion Cook Community College. <laughs> I went to oh, Juilliard man. for line cooking. Hire me at McDonald's right now. Good lord! Oh man, that man, is there's so much Chris. stuff I could do with controllers. You know, it would be a good one—a Wii U controller, because then you'd have that. You'd have the little the plastic glass thing. And then you could use that. You could like make, cut them really thin, and then you could make egg rolls with it. There you go. Yeah, there you go. This is the only benefit that you have for having a chef on the podcast. I can teach you how to cook <laughs> controllers. <laughs> oh my god! I can only hope another one of our listeners is a line cook, and he starts talking about which school he went to for line cook, <laughs> where where he classically trained his line. You know, cook um, McDonald's skills. has a actual campus. Uh, for training people. Oh, I guarantee they do. Yeah, it's called Hamburger University. That's not a joke either. That's like the name of what it's called. <laughs> I love it. Ham- H-U. You know what I always love is when places like Wendy's just try and like have this really professional looking chef being like, this is the new burger I've come up with. And yeah. I'm like, even if this is actually how it happened, and you probably are a real chef, and you've just found a way to make a burger that can be cheaply and easily replicated hundreds of miles away from people who are not as skilled at being chefs. Mm. It's still funny because at no point in time is that making me think, yeah, this Wendy's burger is going to be gourmet like a chef made it. Yeah, I don't no even shot. get the purpose of doing it. It's like, I know what the fuck a Wendy's burger. I like Wendy's burgers. They're I, good Wendy's for what is they excellent. are. I go to yeah, Wendy's for a lukewarm burger. I don't go for a chef. <laughs> I want the meat to be hot, the bun to be cold. And the the lettuce to be kind of soggy but still crunchy, and the cheese to just not be melted. That that's <laughs> what I want on a Wendy's burger. That's it. It's that simple. Well, Chris, Brett, you've taught me a lot about cooking controllers today. Thank you. Uh, maybe maybe that's what we can do. Triangle Squared cooking class. Whenever you come and visit next, we can do like a little special. We should and actually we can try and make controller pasta. <laughs> bring a hot plate into the studio. Oh my boil god. Boil some water up. <laughs> we should if we ever do that, let's cook a meal 
we'll we'll live stream it. We'll do an episode of the show while cooking. I think that would be fun. Then we'll 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 finish with like a just a wonderful meal. <laughs> like, all right, we've done some braised <laughs> Wii U controllers <laughs> <laughs> with a side of diced Xbox 360 joy pads. <laughs> I'm ready to eat with a little bit of cream fraiche in there, and then <laughs> a little bit of Wii fraiche. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, all right, Chris. Well, with that said, I think we have one final thing. Oh, God. And uh, that is figuring out what we would like our communities take to be for these lovely listeners. Oof. <laughs> Tell me your favorite controller recipe. <laughs> what? What a specific question. <laughs> if you get to the point of the podcast where you hear the community's take question, <laughs> you know what I'm asking for. If you only see it on Discord, you're like, "Who? The, what the fuck is this podcast I listen to? Uh, no, yeah, in all point. seriousness, I don't know. I, I got nothing this time. <laughs> I think I'm going to use Jehudi's question. Do you think game series that would last or would last longer if they went the way of Final Fantasy? Or do you prefer that game series kind of live their lives being what they are and eventually die out um, and at least be remembered for what they were? Uh, so... As always, we're going to take that and put it on social media over on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. You can find it when we post it on the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Ask to be entered into that, and I'll gladly let you in. Or click down in the description, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on podcast services. Click into that Discord. Let us know there. We have a dedicated section for it. You can talk to us about what we're talking about in the episode. Give us your thoughts, your feedback, and... Remember, if you like what we're doing here, follow us on podcast services, subscribe to us on YouTube, talk to us in the comments, hit us up. What's up? What did I say? (laughs) You said pad costs. (laughs) Did I say pad costs? You said pad cost servers, and it completely threw me off for a second. I'm sorry. I don't think I did, but if I did, you definitely. I'm gonna listen in editing, and this is gonna be really fun. Pad costs services. Sorry to Podcast you. services. You just, it caught me hey, off guard. Why not? We've been doing this long enough. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we give a shout out to our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. Huge help to the show. Keeps the show running. Uh, and we are very appreciative of it. So without further ado, we would like to shout out Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Spencer. Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hamadegger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Bye.